Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about uh, media production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're just going to spend more time on questions. Uh, this week is all Q&A. So if you've got questions, this is a great week. This is a great panel. We've got a lot of great people available here. So uh, so go ahead and ask those questions in Mukana. Of course, uh, you can get the link to that in the emails that go out. Um, if you ask on Discord, those types of things. Um, and you can ask your questions there and vote on those questions. If you aren't in Mukana, you can also use askofficehours.global. That's this little QR code right here that's askofficehours.global. You can ask those questions any time of the day. So we reset the Mukana every every uh, every day, but you can put your questions in 24-7, and then we'll feed them into the system. So go ahead and throw those questions into there or jump into the system itself. Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Bill, what do we have? Hasma Gajar, our friend in Cape Town, South Africa, has our first one this morning. Yesterday, this was just a part of my first question, which did not get a response, so here it is. When in office hours, when a producer question requires feedback or follow-up after the show, how should the community provide this feedback or follow-up? Good guy. I think the best platform that we have for this is is Discord. Even though it's not public, um, it is a repository where, that's persistent versus just putting it in chat because chat's not persistent. It goes away at the end of the day. So I would say to put it in Discord and maybe if you can also put it as a question, let the community vote with a link to the Discord. So let the community uh, bring it up to the show. So if it gets upvoted to like 20 votes and it's definitely popping back in the show, we'll follow up. So that's that's probably the, the best recommendation that I can come up with. Go Bill. Well, just in general, I you know, this is I'm, it amazes me that we do this every day and that we are allowed to follow up and kind of come back to topics and redo them. I will say that I it caused me to think about RFI, Room for Improvement, which is one of our Discord things where you can literally talk about what the show does and what happens. And it reminds me of the postmortems we always do in production. If you can ever have a chance after a show happens to sit down with everybody right afterwards in the moment and talk about the things that were good and the things that were less than good. It is one of the most powerful ways to increment and improve things that I have ever run across. So, uh, you know, thank you for Hasmic for giving us the reminder that coming back and getting a follow-up is sometimes the most powerful learning process. Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, ironically, uh, Hasmic was on after hours yesterday and we discussed this very question and, uh, the recommendation was after hours because we were there and we were talking about it and uh, event chat, which is the one with the embedded uh, video in it. Yeah, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, one more thing. Uh, in the Discord, if you look in the top right, there's a search and you can actually say search by date after. And so what I'll do is I'll go back two days and then I'll search through just the threads and see what's updated. That way I'm not missing things. I can actually look at what I want to look at. The other thing is by getting nitro, if you if you solve something and you want us to show it, like say it's screen activity, if you get nitro, you can get, uh, I think it's 50 megabyte um, uploads. So it, it's way bigger than the regular size ones. And that way you can actually share the, the solve and then we can maybe um, put it up as, a, as an actual playback uh, during the show. Yeah. And, and I think that um, for longer discussions, if you're really trying to figure something out, I think that after hours is probably the best place to go is to, you know, and, and what I do um, when I when I've done it in the past is I'll schedule time in after hours. I'll say, hey, Charles, I'm trying to figure something out or or with someone or, or, or Chris or, or whatever. Let's jump into after hours together at this time. 
And that way, if anyone else wants to learn from that, they can. Um, so it's not just us having a Zoom together. Uh, you can jump into after hours and, and go through something. And I think that that's good for a lot of people. Um, sometimes if I'm going to do that, I'll you'll see me post on uh, on in Discord as an announcement like, hey, we're going in here. And you'll see those. There are There is a after hours, you know, announce alert, an AH alert that you want to kind of keep track of because when something's happening, uh, oftentimes someone will throw an alert in there that like, hey, someone's, you know, <laughs> Morpheus and Neo are fighting, <laughs> you know, Morpheus is fighting Neo <laughs> and, and you'll, and people can run in there and, and uh, see what's going on. So, so anyway, that's another, another uh, thing to think about. The Discord is, Discord's good. The problem is it's mostly text-based and, and, you know, it can just take a long time to talk through something that you might, might've taken 10 minutes just to sit and look at it and look at screens and figure out. So I, I, I don't think that, Dis- I think Discord is great for talking through ideas um, but sometimes if you're trying to figure something out, it can take a long time to do that in text. I go ahead, Guy. Yeah, it'd be amazing if somebody would just distill down what was uh, found out during those after hours long discussions because some of us work during the day and we can't just hang out there listening. Yeah, but it would be nice if there was just the follow-up, you know, uh, condensed down. There are things, how do how do new uh, viewers w- uh, find the Discord before we used to announce it every morning before the show? And, it's in the email. Yeah, I don't even know how. Now it's easy. You can the link to the to, to joining Discord is in the email. So if you go to officehours.global, it's a good question. Thank you. <laughs> go to officehours.global. You can join, and if you join, you'll start getting emails from us. And if you and once you get those emails, uh, at the bottom of those emails is a way to join Discord. And there's about uh, two thousand of us, or over two thousand of us that are in there chit chatting. So um, the one thing I will say is that I with Discord, I've learned to just every Sunday I just reset it. Like I just say, Mark, the whole channel is red. Like I got through as much as I'm going to get through. <laughs> you know, otherwise, for me, it became overwhelming. There's so many people and there's so many uh, threads that I just, you know, wasn't able to know what exactly which way, which way was up. So I just found it easier just to reset it every, every week and capture what I can. Um, next question. Tim Mann in Melbourne, Australia is up next. Recommendations for long-distance HDMI. And he's talking 30 to 50 meters over Cat5e with converters that will work with Mac OS. I go ahead, Courtney. Now, I haven't uh, used this particular one yet, but I have used uh, these this type before, and it, it doesn't require software. Um, Monoprice has these Blackbirds uh uh, HD base T extenders. Uh, they convert uh, HDMI to HD base T and send it over a private. Doesn't this doesn't go into a regular network, but it'll go over Cat five or Cat six up to uh, this one says up to seventy meters. That's for 1080p. It will send 4K up to thirty meters, I think, and that's pretty cheap for a pair of them. So seventy bucks for a pair. That's one of your cheapest ways out. It also sends. Uh, it can send power. And uh, infrared and even Ethernet over that same Cat6 if you need to send all of those things to a monitor on the other end. And it does support HDCP 2.2, so you won't get it blacked out if you're trying to send, uh, you know, a copyrighted material and you've got a monitor on the other end that complies. Uh, it won't black you out like some will. Now go ahead, Mark. Well, I'm waiting for Blackmagic to come out with the uh, HDMI to... Ethernet as opposed to SDI. But if you want to do SDI, you can go pretty far too. Yeah, it, it, at 30 to 50 meters, I, oftentimes I go to SDI just because it's simple um, and relatively inexpensive. I buy I buy SDI by 
rolls of a thousand <laughs> and then and then terminate them as needed. So the cost of that SDI cable is very low for me. Um, you know, and so so that's the that's the easy thing for me to to to, to do. And if it gets cut, I don't really, you know, I just cut shorter cables out of it later. Um, and so that so I've that's why I've not used a lot of there are some I think Mar- guy will probably recommend some HDMI cables which are great um, that are all in one. Um, the uh, I have very successfully, you know, Geffen and a couple other people make the Overcat 5E, you know, 5E. It is, I have successfully run it about 250 feet without any trouble, but it always worries me. Like that that's not going to be, I don't, I would never use that in production. I use it for internal stuff that I'm passing around. Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, this is one of those, you, you get what you pay for things where the one that we found that works rock solid, it, it's expensive, but uh, the brand that we love is uh, Hall Technologies. So the exact model is the UH-BT-S, and I'll put a link to it in the chat, but be, be aware of the, the inexpensive ones that they may not uh, work consistently. Go ahead, Courtney. And one thing not to overlook is that the uh, base t is one of the only solutions that sends power as well, up to 75 watts of AC over the same cable. Sounds a bit dangerous. But uh, that way you can put a, remonitor, a monitor remotely and not have to worry about running power to it, which is great. And in high-end productions, just so you know that it exists, I-H-S-H-E um, is the company that does KVMs and long-distance uh, tra- traversals. And in mo- most major trucks and events and so on and so forth, they work on that's what we see. They're very highly configurable and very expensive. Now, next question. Simon Ray in Midlands in the UK. Can you route audio from the browser through a mix pre with noise assist and back through the computer so that you can comfortably listen to podcasts and videos from less experienced producers without being annoyed by their high noise floor? Go ahead, Chris. So, Simon, this is an interesting signal path that you're describing here because based on what you've written it makes it sound like you're listening to the computer because you say uh, through the noise assist back to the computer. You should probably plug your headphones into the mix pre. That's that's the first thing I'm going to say. You should probably monitor at the mix pre. Now, what you're talking about here is super interesting because typically, uh, like I have the noise assist plug in, and I just use it on my mic because I, I'm in a noisy room that you don't want to listen to or I don't want to make you listen to it. Maybe you do want to listen. I don't know. Um, But with the latest updates in the Sound Devices universe, you can get a second instance of noise assist. So what you're saying is quite interesting. But what you'd actually do is you bring the noise from your computer because you're going to be, it sounds like you're on a call with somebody or, or a router, whatever. Whatever noise coming from your computer would come in on a channel You'd have to do it mono like Alex does because he likes the world in mono. Um, and then you'd put, you'd put a, the second instance of noise assist on that channel. It's, it's an interesting idea if you're just annoyed at listening to everybody else's bad audio. But you're only going to listen to it at the mix pre. I think that would work. That's a, it's an interesting idea. But there is a little confused, or at least I'm a little confused about the exact signal path that you're that you're uh, outlining in the question. Uh, go, Bill. 
I so I use uh, the similar thing from Cedar if, going through my Universal Audio Apollo Solo, and it is designed to do real time noise reduction. I my concern about putting it on a feed that's coming down the internet is you never know what the noise profile is going to be. It's going to try its best, but you know, but some users in a grid like ours will have quiet signals. Others will have more background noise, so it's going to have to constantly adapt to it. In the case of the Cedar that I use every day here, it takes about three to five seconds for it to figure out what is noise and what is my voice, and then suddenly the noise behind my voice disappears. It's using a DSP in a box and an external thing to make that real-time without any processor load whatsoever. So I find that useful if I'm doing something live, but I'm not sure how effective it would be if I presented it with a constantly varying noise fuller profile as you would get from an internet feed it may or may not work as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I do find that the, the, again, noise assist runs a little, it's a little bit more efficient and a little, uh, it works a little better than Cedar actually, in my opinion, for this kind of thing, it'll react a little bit faster and a little bit gentler than Cedar is. Um, and I used to own a bunch of Cedar boxes, <laughs> so I don't know about the plugin, but I had a bunch of Cedar hardware that would do this. Um, the, I do think you could, it, you could do it. Uh, you could also just dump it into something and have it converted. <laughs> you could dump it into logic or something with, with, with a denoiser. Uh, you know, this is what, this is why Dolby noise reduction was created was to get rid of hiss, you know, from tapes and, and systems and everything else. So you may find some, some less aggressive solutions, uh, to re- reduce basic noise. Um, but I do think that, you know, also putting comments into the, into the podcasts of saying, Hey, it'd be really great if, uh, if you sorted this out and a little bit of uh, social pressure might, might also might, you know, people, once they know that people are complaining about it and get your friends to complain about it all at one time and they'll, and, and the, um, you might, you might notice that they'll invest. I, I will say that I don't listen to, I barely listen to NPR now because I've gotten so used to the show that I can't listen to the phoners. I can't like that when they have people call in, I can't listen to that anymore. And I definitely can't listen to Skype and echoey rooms and stuff like that, that NPR still thinks is okay. Um, and so I've just, I, I, it just bothers me too much to, I don't care what they have to say <laughs> anymore. Like it's just, it's too much of a, an annoyance. Uh, to, to, so, I, so I hear you. I hear you on that one. Uh, next question. Next one comes from Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. Anything new to be learned from Apple's latest behind-the-scenes shot on iPhone video? And he's got a link there to it. Go ahead, Courtney. Well, one new thing to be learned is that Apple will pay you a lot of money to use an inappropriate product to shoot a stop-motion animation. Uh, because I don't think, you know, if you look at the... I'm not going to play any of it. I, can, so I can play it. Hold okay. On. Let's, let's. There it is there. But that's some of the behind-the-scenes. They're using you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment to mount an iPhone and and they're doing stop motion animation and stop motion animation is, you know, you're investing weeks, sometimes years of work into that project. And I wouldn't want to have those, those files disappear in the nameless file system of the iPhone, uh, you know, in ways of getting those files on and off and being confident that they're backed up and all that stuff. You know, I would want a camera in there that can also shovel them off to a server and make three copies every time I take a picture. Uh, So, but I'm sure it was a good PR move for Apple to finance that and find somebody that was willing to take the chance and do the stop motion animation on a, uh, you know, do something that take a long time on an iPhone for the publicity, you know. I actually think that the, uh, uh, I, I think that this will end up being a, 
a better solution for most stop motion <laughs> because because the the problem you end up with is dealing with the camera. Like I've worked on a bunch of stop motion stuff and just the, the camera process, being able to build the mechanics where you have a lot more control over the software eventually, maybe not right now, but I think you could eventually go down that path. You don't um, have any choice of lenses. You do. Alex? You do. You can no. actually put it. Yeah, you, you do have lenses. Um, you, you, you know, you don't have the, the, a lot of stop motion. This one obviously didn't need that. Um, but uh, I wouldn't do the next Wallace and Gromit with it. But um, but I think that for a lot of people who are trying to produce something a little bit faster, there's a lot of integration in the software that would make it a lot easier. Um, and so, uh, and, and I don't think, I mean, the file process has been pretty, because um, I'm now recording everything. I'm just working on a rig right now to record everything in on drive. Um, you know, so you just, it's just files on a drive. Like it's not, you're not putting it into anything. You're just recording to the drive. Um, it's not any different than going to any other digital camera from, from my perspective. Um, as we look at this, I don't know what this rig is. Like, I don't know if anyone else, like. It's on a rail system. It's a full motion well, control thing. Yeah, there's, this is motion control. It's a control. motion control rig with an upside down yep. uh, head. That, uh, this looks like a syrup, um, but but this, and I don't know that for sure, but it looks like a syrup controller, and this could be a syrup rig. That's S-Y-R-P. I don't know what this rig that's holding the camera is, though. Um, this doesn't look like a rig that I've seen before. It so, looks like a, uh, they make, I've seen several rigs like that, that they've built for video assist for holding monitors for uh, directors yeah. uh, with receivers. Yeah. And this may be, I, this may be a transmitter up here. Um, again, I haven't, I, and maybe they, you know, rigged this up um, uh, to do it without, it's not a true camera, but you can see it coming through here. Um, there's our, our guy. Uh, so here's the, and you can start to see, I mean, one of the things that I'm dealing with right now, because I'm kind of playing with this at the moment, is really figuring out, oh, and this looks like a, um, this looks actually like a moment, moment I think makes a rig that looks like this. From this side, it, it looks like the moment rig, because um, uh, it has this little, this little bit here. Um, the, the one of the things we are really thinking about is what is this rig going to look like? You know, we saw a little bit of this with the other one, which is I've got to hold a wireless transmitter. I've got to hold a hard drive. I've got to you know, do a bunch of other things that are going to all come out of the out of that. So that's a that's one thing that we're kind of, um, you know, as we start to get ready to do more of this kind of production. Um, and now here you can see these are the these are the big moment lenses. So these are the big lenses that they're that they're adding to it. So it's probably a mo moment rig just because it's using the moment lenses. But these are the big lenses. Now, one of the big advantages of using these lenses and not using the iPhone lenses is that you're, you can leave the iPhone lens on 1x the whole time. The sensor on the iPhone 1x is way higher resolution. This is the 48 megapixel sensor. Um, it is not, the other ones are not the same quality. So if you're shooting stuff with your family, you can shoot with the, the 0.5 or, or, the, or the 5x or whatever. But if you're shooting, a, um, if you're shooting something that matters, you're going to want to put lenses in front of the 1x lens um, to make that actually work. Um, so that's a, let's see here, you can see. This is a pretty typical, this is kind of a three axis rig that they have here that lets you rotate it on all those axes. And so you loosen each one of these um, to, to be able to get the, get to the axes um, that are, that are there. Let's see here. Moment lens, yeah. This I think I think I'm going to back up and say I think this is a whole the whole rig is moment. Um, I believe um, now that we're looking at a better angle. 
think there's anything new there. What fascinates me is how autobiographical this turned this? out to Does be. Does anyone know what the software is that they're using? I think it's, is it Dragon? Yeah, it's called Dragon yeah. Capture or something like that. Yeah. They, she mentions it very briefly, but her accent obscures, but it's yeah. Dragon. But Dragon is, that's the, that's the industry standard um, for it. So we got a kind of an angle here. I don't think there's anything new. We see the larger lens. There's that. So here, that's a that's a more operative shot. Now, this is an interesting uh, rig here. I don't I don't know what I don't know exactly what this is. Obviously, this has this is this means it's it's a you know you have a little bit more control, a very specific control over what you're what you're doing there. Um, so it's a little bit more of a uh, and then this is that larger lens that we were talking about here. I don't know what this is. So I'm sure it has a reason to be there, but I don't know what, what the reason is. Is that um, a glue gun at the bottom? There's uh, glue dripping probably. off. Uh, where? Where's the glue gun? I uh, don't midway down on the right side. Uh, could be. Could be. Um, software is called Dragon Frame. Yeah. Additional software used. There you go. But anyway, I... With each one of these, I think I think there was another one that I just saw pop up as well. So there'll be more of these to. Um, I, I, again, I, I will agree with Courtney that if I was doing a feature film level um, thing, I probably wouldn't do it. If I was going to do it for Apple with their iPhone, I would absolutely do it. And I think that, um, but I also think that it, it could really, by showing that you can do it, you have a bunch of kids and a bunch of other folks going, "Oh, I can do that." Um, and make it, it's, it's that rig is actually a fraction of what we saw with the other ones. And so I think that getting and stop motion is such a great way to teach filmmaking for kids. I mean, they just they really enjoy it. There's something very, you know, you work really hard at something for a day or two and get something that's really fun to watch. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Alex, I liked what you just said about the encouragement factor, because I have a hard time wrapping my arms around the idea of an iPhone uh, being used as an iCam, I guess, is the, the statement. So. Um, is it still a bit of a stunt to modify an iPhone to work like a camera, or um, is it's, that something that eventually they'll get something more purpose-built? Uh, I don't think you need – I think you can keep on building rigs around it. I don't think you need to – I, I mean, I, I wouldn't put it out of – the only reason that, that Apple would ever build a camera, I think, is to solve problems that no one else is solving. So it wouldn't be another camera. I think that the iPhone is the other camera. I think if they if they have to build something, they would have to, they have to build it because no one else is building it for for you know for a variety of reasons. So the um, but the but I think that uh, there's a lot of people when you look at just the mass of things, there are a lot of people that are using iPhones for production. You know, when it comes to YouTube and TikTok and everything else, the mass there's a center of mass that is you know so showing giving them the tools that they need to do that. Um, you know, and and you'll look at I mean I think that you saw this in final you know Final Cut is in is definitely focusing heavily on making sure that it's easy. Final Cut is one of the most popular editing apps of the, of the creators that I work with. Um, and, you know, the saying that they say that has come up a couple of times, well, I don't get paid by the hour. <laughs> like I get paid to get, you know, I, I, I have to get this done as fast as I can. And Final Cut is just faster. And so so Apple has, you know, the mixture of these two things is pretty powerful. Uh, go ahead, Bill. 
So um, the long form of this piece, not the behind the scenes, is very much in the style of John Lewis ads that have been running in London and, and throughout the British Isles for many years. They're beloved. They spend the entire year getting ready for this big event. And this feels in tone the same way. The thing that struck me when I finally saw the behind the scenes is that it's very autobiographical. The young woman who made it is very much like her character in in the movie. She's obsessive about doing little her own home animations that fit perfectly into the Apple story. So they found her and gave her a shot at doing this. And I think she pulled it off with incredible skill and sensitivity. It is a really beautiful piece to watch. My wife, I, I said, hey, look at this. One of my friends sent it to me uh, yesterday or day before. And it literally emotionally had a tremendous pull on her. So I think and, that's serious. And again, when they're showing these and they're showing and people are seeing the results, you know, at, at high resolution, I, I mentioned this yesterday and I mentioned it a couple times last week. I was surprised at how quickly a film company asked me what the delivery specs were for an iPhone. Like it was within a week after the keynote, they, it had legitimized, you know, legitimized the, the idea that you could use an iPhone for interview, you know, for like delivering an interview or delivering something else. I was like, oh, it'll be high enough quality. And I, and I would say for many things that I do, um, you could, you know, for single setup, kind of things. Um, and we're going to start playing. I'm, I've got enough cameras that I'm going to start playing with the idea of like, what, what could we do live? Like, we, we could we have five iPhones <laughs> running live and see what that actually looks like? Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, Mitchell, you made the comment. About, I think you said uh, you have a hard time imagining using a phone a, as a camera. I want to remind you that your iPhone 6, uh, it, it it's yeah, that one. It it's sound. It's like it's like using an edit system from the '90s. I mean, it feels that antiquated. Like the new cameras are in the, the new phones. Cameras. I just said it there. I just said it. There's they're really amazing. They're really really good. So I I I would shoot everything. I could shoot it. All, I don't do great stuff. I could shoot all my work on iPhones. All of it. No problem, and, and I'd be ha and I'd be very happy with the footage. Yeah, and and there's there's so much creativity. You know, there's there is a uh, uh, there's something about it that with all the lenses and being able to swap back and forth and everything else, there's a lot. And why I watch, I watch my kids use you know, you think we're good at you know doing iPhones. You should. There, my 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 kids are masters of the point five lens. <laughs> like my my daughter will just pick up the phone and go like this. She goes like she goes like this, and then she puts her tongue out like in this thing, and she takes a picture, and there's like a look that, that a lot of the high school. And it's like or the great, or, and it's like this weird big eyes with a thing. But it's it's really funny. But what's funny is how fast she can do it. Like, like she knows you know it's, it's it's like muscle memory to do these things. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like a rebuttal to Chris, but uh, I, I appreciate what you're saying. But I just want an iPhone to be a phone. I don't need to pay for which the is funny extra because, stuff. Which is funny because I hate my iPhone as a phone. Like I, if you call me, what goes through my head? If you call me without a schedule, what goes through my head is what the what? Like you didn't even text me? Like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like, like I, the only people who get to call me without texting me first or without creating a schedule is like my mom and my wife. You know, like those are the two that are allowed to just call off the, the phone. But, uh, my kids can do it, but, <laughs> but I'm still like, what are we but doing they here? have a good reason. My, my kids don't, my kids won't do it because they, they're more socialized to the idea of like, hey, can you talk for a second is a pretty common, you know, thing for them. You know, like it's not, it's uh 
but but I will tell you if you if you're not in my family and you call, I mean, you know, if you're not in my family and you, and you call, I I am def I just won't generally won't pick up the phone unless you're my client. <laughs> if you're my client, I, I'm I'll pick it up. Call you all the time now, just out of the blue. I'll just be like, hey, I'll, I'll just, just ignore it. I'll, you'll just go how quickly it goes to voicemail. Um, but my but my phone is set to do not disturb all the time, so it's hard to call me because it's, my phone is 100% on do not disturb unless I'm waiting for a call from a client or somebody that I'm working on something. I, I turn my phone, I turn all of my machines off because... I was very tempted to just try to call you on your yeah, phone. won't work. <laughs> it just goes straight into... It, it goes, you know, notifications is the death of deep, deep thinking. Anyway, uh, go ahead, uh, Mark. So logistically, if you wanted to go buy three or four iPhones to use them specifically as cameras, can you do that without having to get a carrier? Wait, say that again? If you wanted to buy three or four cameras, three or four iPhones, just to use as cameras, you can use. How do you, you do that without Apple. having to pay for the carrier? Apple, you go to the Apple Store. Just say you don't want to carry. You don't want to choose right now, and, and you won't have to. You won't have to put a phone number on them. I've done it. <laughs> so I've I've bought like four cam. You know, cam usually we put some kind of base carrier on it because we want it. Um, but but you can ask. Say I just don't want a carrier on it. Yeah. Um, but you can't buy them from, and, and I would highly recommend always buying your iPhones from Apple. Like buy, buy your Apple hardware from Apple. I know there's a lot of people who resell it and everything else. Oh, it's so complicated. They don't, like Apple automatically puts it into your Apple Care. They automatically have registration for it. They automatically have all these other things. It just works. And when you buy, I bought them from Amazon. I bought them from at and I bought them from the Verizon store and all of them are hell. Like it's just, you know, and, and it, it takes longer to buy it. It takes longer to, the support is nasty. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a really, really painful. Like I just buy, just buy your phones from, just buy your Apple products from Apple. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah. And just a reminder, kids out there, if you're shooting a major motion picture on your iPhones, remember to put it in airplane mode so that you don't get a call in the middle of that three minute long uh, uh, steady cam shot that you're setting up with a crew of six, 60 to 70 people. Yes. That could ruin your whole day. You can just kill the cell. <laughs> Turn off the cell. And doesn't, doesn't it require, to use the camera, doesn't it require uh, iCloud connection? Oh, no, I don't think so. Oh, I don't know why it would. Because you can record, you can, you can just record to the, it doesn't need an iCloud connection. It would just record to the, to the iPhoto's library. Um, mm -hmm. iPhoto's library doesn't, it doesn't require iCloud to, to operate. And but it does, now doesn't it require a, a uh, Apple account, though, to tie it to? No. I, yeah, I, I don't know. To unlock I've, it, I've had I've had an Apple account for a long time. To so unlock I don't know. it, yeah. Okay, I, I don't I don't know what I don't uh, know. I I don't have any rep point of reference for that. Like I don't know. Maybe I, I've just always had a. Um, I, we take a lot. We take our iPads off accounts, but you usually leave it on some account. We give it some account um, because it's mm -hmm. easier to install. You can't put any apps on it without the account. So so that yeah, I had a hard. horrible time in, in doing uh, TV shows because they'd have, uh, you know, product placement from Apple. So they'd have 30 iPads and I had to put them all on my own account, you know, to, to transfer images back and forth to all of them. Yeah. Yeah. We, so. we, we definitely build, uh, you know, we usually have event or, or company accounts that we put, we put everything on. Um, and, and again, it, it's really convenient once it's on. <laughs> so, so, so it's hard. I, I found some old iPads and it's hard though, cause I have to remember what the passwords were. I'm like, I have no idea what these passwords were uh, for this iPad. So there's like me calling people and pinging Kevin Hansen, like going, what is the password for this? What, what, what did we use back then? He's like, oh, it's this one. Uh, go ahead, Bill. Oh, but when you put, I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> no, but when you put 30 iPads on your account and you hand them to extras. Oh, I would Not never a do that. good thing. <laughs> I would never. That's why we have company accounts. Is that I would that never give someone. Yeah, I would never put give someone my account. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. 
So I have my personal phone and I have a business phone. And then the phone, two phones before that I still have, it's long been disconnected from everything. It's just a phone. or I can't remember what it is. It's probably an iPhone 8 or something like that. Uh, but if I have to go out and just shoot a photo or, or use a third camera as an overhead or something like that, I'll just use that. So it's, it's sad because I'm gaining more phones in my life. But for those odd cases where I want to have multiple camera angles, it's great to have them around. By the way, I, I recommended this on MacBreak just because we're talking about photos on the iPhone. It's like I got this little Fuji printer for my daughter. It was actually a test for <laughs> to see how they worked. I just said, I need you to test this for me for, for MacBreak. But these are like little Polaroids that it prints out. It prints out these little oh, Polaroids. It's it's like very kawaii. Um, and, and so the uh, – but, it you know, she she won, wanted them for her like scrapbook and stuff like that. And uh, I just – there is – like there's a whole second hour somewhere of printing our, our images because – I would highly recommend it. I really have gotten to like we're going to be the most undocumented, you know, uh, in the history of the world. We'll, we'll have the least number of photos. Uh, Digital dark soon. ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm starting to get ready to refresh my printers so that I can print. Uh, I was starting to print them, and I then my printer, you know, I just it didn't it stopped working probably because of some ink jam, and then I just didn't get back to it. So I'm gonna get get them going again and start printing archive uh, photos of. All the ones that matter to me. Um, next question. As expected, OpenAI is in uh, multiple questions here. We'll go through them one at a time. The first one from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. Sam Altman is back at OpenAI with a new board. Strange that Microsoft would let go of its position, he wonders. Go ahead, John. Today, on open, as OpenAI churns, we need a BO on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Courtney, for the next 30 days, we'll need it. <laughs> Uh, Microsoft. These, had, we gotta go. These are the lives of OpenAI. <laughs> so, so like Microsoft. The Microsoft glass. didn't lose any position here. They, they, they're in a perfect position. They own forty nine percent of OpenAI. Whether, whether Sam leaves or not, they're in a perfect position. Part of that equity was gained on on credits from Azure, and so they didn't put that much money into this deal. About thirteen billion. Part of part or most of that is in Azure credits. Microsoft is in a, an amazing position here, and we'll see what happens day to day. Yeah, it's it's a uh, what a what a week. <laughs> five days, five days of insanity. Uh, next question. Liberty White in Atlanta, Georgia, same topic. As much as I want to save this for Monday, I might ask it again. Let's talk business and leadership. What are your thoughts about the future of OpenAI with Sam Altman and the board? Go ahead, John. Just reading it about some of the, the new interim members on the board, Brett Taylor, Larry Summers, and Adam. Adam was one of the original members. That it looks like it's going to sustain the new board moving forward. Larry Summers is Secretary of Treasury in 1999, and Brett Taylor was the was the was one of the inventors of Google Maps. And chairman of Twitter and CEO of Salesforce. So they're bringing in more business-minded people to the board, which looks like where, where Sam needs it to go. I'm, I think Brett Taylor and, and Larry Summers is, are amazing ads. <laughs> you know, like they're just, they're, they're really, you know, they're going to bring some sanity to the, to the board. Of, you know, they've done this for a long time. They've seen a lot of different things. They've worked in, you know, a lot of different areas. Uh, they're, they're definitely going to bring some more um, stability to it. You know, I think that the, um, uh, you know, I think... I really thought if 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 they hadn't figured this out by the end of this week, I figured I was calculating that that OpenAI wouldn't make it to the end of the year. Like it was just gonna, it was literally just gonna get cored out, and so there was not really a lot for the board. And the, you know, I think that the thing that was really 
uh, I think might have pushed them forward is they can say that the nonprofit, one of the possible nonprofit outcomes is to destroy the company. But the problem is, is the idea behind OpenAI was to have a, a place at the table, you know, to be able to do things. And they were about to lose all of that. Like they're about to have no impact on the rest of the, and, and if anything, they just poured gas on the whole system and, you know, and, and then dumped out of it. You know, so, so it was a really, uh, I think they had to do what they needed to do. I was kind of surprised that they kept um, uh, uh, Adam D'Angelo. I, I, I don't know why they, why they kept him. You know, I would have dumped everybody that voted that way because it was a horrible idea. I mean, at least off the board because uh, it was a horrible idea. Like, and it was, you know, but the problem was you take a bunch of folks that don't have uh, – that are mostly academic, and I would consider Cora kind of mostly academic. It's kind of just the place of crazy. It's like it's like uh, it's, it's it's like Reddit on acid, and so the um, uh, and so the uh, so I, I would say that uh, you take a bunch of academics and put them all all together to run a company. It's like throwing snowflakes into a sauna, you know. Like it's just it just wasn't where they needed to be, and so um, and so I think that uh, and they just melted down. Now, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed to see him go back because I wanted to sell my Microsoft stock at its high. But uh, full disclosure, all they have to do is sell 1% over to Microsoft now, and then they'll have controlling interest if things get dicey with the new uh, company, uh, new reorganized company, let's just say. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, so Courtney, uh, concerning your stock price, this is interesting. Here's the last month of Microsoft. Here's the last five days. This is Monday when all the news broke. Yesterday's turmoil, Tuesday it dropped. It's back up. So you're good. Sell your stock. <laughs> all right. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, I think the the probably it probably is going to settle down now. Like I think that we'll we'll have a couple more little bits of news. We'll f- find out what the final board is and then we'll um uh, and then we'll probably move on. Um next question. Uh, comes from Awanahahoe Black Bear Marshall in uh, the Owai River area up in Oregon. Uh, is Sam Altman kind of a T.H. White situation for this, or is it just the newest news from Moidart? I would have to say that uh, you are much better read than I am. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't have any point of reference for that, so I don't. I don't know. I, I, if you get into any kind of uh, kind of more obscure literary. Uh, you know, um, references, I probably, I'll probably go over my head. I'm not a literary guy. Um, next question. Pedro Gonzalez in Oklahoma is up next. What are your thoughts on using the Blackmagic Micro Studio Camera 4K G2 for Zoom meetings and seminars as opposed to the Blackmagic Cinema Camera 6K? And he's looking to judge cost, quality, size, and so forth. Go ahead, Mark. For uh, the Zoom meetings, if you want to put one behind the teleprompter, it's going to be a lot easier to fit the... Uh, the Blackmagic Cinema f- camera than it is to use the studio camera because it's just big and bulky. Yeah, the the Micro Studio, it, it, what it really excels at is being an overhead camera. So a camera that's looking down on something that you want to show, um, something that, you know, those kinds of things. You, you can put a motorized lens on it and then control that the zoom of that lens. If you get the, the Panasonic PO, uh, IO, PO, iOS, um, uh, the powered zooms, there's a couple powered zooms that you can get from Panasonic and put on those and that you can zoom in, you can focus and so on and so forth. So I would use those that way. I wouldn't probably, it, it's not a bad main camera. The main problem with using it as a webcam is really autofocus. And I, I used one for years on this show. And now that I'm using a, a Sony, I'm back to an FX30. I'm going to send the other one back. Um, the, uh, the, uh, you know, it's just the, 
being able to be in focus all the time is pretty awesome. <laughs> like, you know, like I just have to say, uh, you know, and so the being able to have fast focus, I, I had a, a, I was using an EVZ one until yesterday and, uh, it died for the last time. It's died like 10 times since I bought it. And it's just a, it's some kind of heat problem. And so, um, and so it's, uh, so I've, I've removed it from the system back to the FX 30, but so Sony has its own problems. Um, but, uh, but I would say that, and I've done everything. I, everyone's like, did you use the dummy battery? Yes. Did you open the window? Yes. Did you, like, like I've done all the things I, sh- I should do and it's still not working. So, um, so anyway, the, uh, um, but I would say that the Sony's are best as web cameras. The, I still do my production. I don't, I prefer production with if I'm going to contr- if I'm controlling the zoom. So if I'm doing a production where I'm controlling zoom, I still prefer the files that I get from as from a small camera perspective. I prefer the files that I get from Blackmagic uh, over the Sony's. Um, but I but I but for as a webcam, I'd recommend the Sony's. Um, next question. Next one comes to us from Tim Mann. Excuse me, in Melbourne, Australia. What model decimator would you have in your kit for troubleshooting? Good guy. The one that's been in most of our kits is this one, the MDHX. It's got two HDMIs on the side and then uh, five on the other side. So you can go in and use it as a DA. So say, for instance, you wanted to, to a distribution amplifier. If you wanted to take that one SDI signal and feed it out to four confidence monitors, you could do that. If you had um, a confidence monitor that was HDMI, you can also go in SDI, flip back out HDMI, and you can also change the frame rate. Um, I'm using one right now to flip my teleprompter so you can do things like flip. Um, it's a handy device to have, especially for Mac computers. I've saved many a shows with these things where uh, sometimes the projector just won't sync up or the Mac or the PC won't sync up and boom, drop one of these in the line and you've solved it. So great piece of kit to have uh, just in case of emergency. Good, Courtney. Yeah, I agree. The MDHX is great. But what I would do if you're going to use, if you're only going to get one to throw in your kit, I would get the MD Cross because it does everything the MDHX does, but it has built-in uh, test generators. So it can generate all types of HD signals, uh, test signals, so you can send those down the line and uh, test your monitors and stuff without having cameras set up or anything else. You have color tests and color charts and color bars and pluge tests and all kinds of uh, test charts are available on the MD. It's only 100 bucks more. The, the HX is 300 bucks, and the cross converter is 395 so you know go yeah, the, extra 100 i will i will agree for testing i would say the cross is better i found that we got it was much easier for us to get lost in our settings on the cross than 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 the than the uh than the mdhx so so we uh, had usually a cross in a kit to do exactly what Courtney was talking about. But what we issued everybody was MDHXs because they would get lost in the in the menus. Um, the HDX cross has just a lot of other things and you get it into a state that was really hard to get out of if you weren't connecting it to a computer. I can, like, it's funny, like Kevin Hansen and I go back and forth. He doesn't, I don't know how to use the software for it. Like, I don't know how to plug the thing into something and, and set the settings. All I know how to do is use the little buttons on the front. And he's exactly the opposite. <laughs> so so it's like, he, he's like, I can't change the settings because I can't plug it into a computer. I'm like, plug it into a computer? How do you do that? <laughs> so, so it's we're on the two opposite ends of that spectrum. Uh, next question. Next one comes from Robert Sababidi in Poland. And he says, does anyone in the panel use a comm system? And he notes he recently tested the ceremonial WeTalk which feels like a good value for the price. Any comments? A good guy. 
Yeah, we've tested them and they're good value. It rides on that 1.9 gigahertz, which is the same as the one that I would recommend that I see a lot of folks using out in the field, which is the Holly, Hollyland SolidComp C1. And in these kits, you can get a variety of different packs. So you can just get the two or the three or the six or the eight. And these ones actually have good reviews. I looked up that um, so that you can see there's seven, you know, almost five-star reviews uh, on those uh, ceremonics. I didn't see any reviews. So it, it's kind of tough to, to, without getting my hands on them to see what uh, what the quality is like. But it does, those do rely on uh, on the 1.9 gigahertz. So, you know, it's it's not going to be the $20,000 comm systems that you'll, you'll be able to rent um, if you don't want to make that investment and get you that really long, 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 um, range and um, there's other things like PL party lines that you can program with the higher end systems like Riedel, but again, most of us uh, are not at that level. So it, having the Hollyland solid comes even at two grand, it might be a stretch for some folks, but it, it's a robust and affordable system. Good, Bill. Yeah, just based on my experience with the Ceremonic uh, little mixers that are lightning connected that I've used with my phones for a long time, I would call it good. I wouldn't call it excellent. It it, it does everything it's designed to do. It's a bit plasticky. It's got a 9-volt battery in it, uh, the one that I use. But I've gotten really good, solid, decent results out of it. It's not up in the Electrosonics kind of perfect sound category. But... A couple of them, I have two of those mixers, and I use them a good little bit when I need to get an XLR mic fed into my phone for some reason. And they've been solid, and they've worked fine. I've had them for about four or five years. So I call it a good, basic thing. Yeah, I, I in a controlled environment or in a, in a relatively isolated environment, I think that they'd actually probably work okay. Um, you know, so if you're in a, you know, if you're doing a shoot and you're somewhere that isn't around a lot of other things, because the the problem is, is that that uh, the, there can be a lot of crosstalk in the in the in w what the frequency that they're using here. Um, so so that could be, a, you know, a challenge here. Now, at one point nine, my only question is, is this on the decked um, format? I just I'm not sure. We'll have to do a little bit more research on these. Um, but the you know, that's what. uh FreeSpeak is on as well. Uh, so you have to kind of take that into account. Uh, in an event, at an event center, uh, you're going to have a lot of other things that are going on in the platform. Um, and you may want to think hard about renting a something like a, uh, like a FreeSpeak, which is what we've used a lot of. Um, obviously, Riedel has the Blero, which is great, um, but it really requires engineering talent to put it together. Like you need to have a guy on the ground to manage a Blero. <laughs> like, you know, like there's, and that's their only job, you know, um, but it's really powerful. Uh, the FreeSpeak, we usually, oftentimes our A1 can put it together. We still oftentimes dedicate a person to comms because we have so many people on them. If you have five or six people and you're calling cameras and you're in a studio, that's where they, they're showing some of these examples, or you're in a remote location that doesn't have a lot of crosstalk, I think you, you, you might be able to do pretty well. Um, you know, I, I think we'd have to, uh, as Bill said before, we should probably test it uh, before we make any hard decisions because it, it might work great. Um, so, yeah, go ahead, uh, Bill. I just looked it up. It's not in the 2.4 gigahertz band, which is good it's if it's operating down. It's in 1.9, so at least it'll be less crowded than the craziness in 2.4. Yeah, so, but the, um, it, 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 you know, I'd love to, love to see it. I'm, I, what I'm not totally sure of is how many channels and PLs and the remotes, you know, like a lot of times we're used to having a fair amount of control over that, you know, of, of who's who's listening to what and how they listen to it. Um, for large shows, for the kind of shows that I work on a lot, um, the uh, we uh, the comms are half the show. Like I'm, 
I have a show in February and I'm submitting lists of the people for the February event uh, next week. <laughs> like so, so two months ahead of time, I'm sending out, or more than two months ahead of time, I'm sending out, these are all the people I want on the comms because they're building the comm structure now. We're going to start testing those comms uh, in about a week and a half. So the, you know, like that's, you know, comms are super important uh, as, you, as you start to build up. Um, and so understanding, building very complex PL systems and point-to-point and -point systems is really important. Um, next yeah, this is not for that. They say eight remote and one master head. They said up to seventeen, kind of what they, but oh, they okay, have up so to seventeen. Is, yeah. yeah, so but uh, but it's not for what I, Alex is talking about. I, I would like to there. test it though. I mean, I'd love to test these out and like um, you know, it's the kind of thing that I might rent a free speak, but then grab one of these and play with it. Like it, you know, at, at the same like, how does it hold up next to it to to know where? A lot of times, it's not a matter of is something good or bad. It's Will it fulfill the need here or not? But what I will say is that the thing that scares me the most about less expensive comms is if your comms break down, all kinds of chaos occurs, you know, in a, in a system, especially if you built it around being able to have comms. Now you're suddenly in this place where you can't talk to anyone. It, it, I've lost comms in the past and we were on cell phones trying to like cell phone bridges trying to just keep the show going. No fun. Um, uh, then I started investing in comms. <laughs> Next question. Guy Cochran in Seattle, Washington. Did YouTube happen to flag yesterday's show for our educational demonstration using well-known movie clips? Yeah, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, well done yesterday, Alex. So we saw some good comments, uh, how everybody enjoyed seeing, you know, the queued up um, uh, footage, but also being able to telestrate right over the top. And I think that's what helped the algorithm. So um the algorithm meeting not getting a, a strike. So here is the back end and uh, survey says uh, channel not affected. So content identified in this video is listed below. Nothing. So no copyright content was found in your video. So it looks like uh, uh, we got a pass. So education yeah. wins. <laughs> yeah. If you're stopping and starting, oftentimes it can't, it's, it's not going to identify it as well. Um, as well as the fact that it, it is, um, you know, I didn't, I knew that it was already on other channels that are not, you know, official channels. That's where I grabbed it from. So I, sometimes I can do that knowing that it's going to be, you know, from that position. Um, I know that they, they might have gotten flagged, but they're not going to get. So the worst case scenario that I looked at is that I, it could be demonetized. Um, but I didn't care because we're not worried about that. We're, we're, you know, the, the serve, what we leave up on YouTube is mostly a service to the members. I'm not trying to make money on, on, that, on that piece. Now go ahead, Bill. Well, and you were the poster charge for fair use. This yeah, is educational that, content. It doesn't used get much perfectly more. for education. You know, this is <laughs> that, it. I, <laughs> if, if I had gotten flagged and I really wanted to make us think about it, I'm, right. I'm, I'm as I'm, I'm as down the middle of fair use as you could get. You know, as so, you can possibly so, get. Yeah, so I wasn't I wasn't too concerned. Uh, the, the only thing I care about is, I mean, again, YouTubers who are making money on YouTube advertising care a lot about demonetization, and that's where most of the enforcement has gone. The only thing I worry about is strikes, you know, because you can only get three strikes in, a, in six months. And once you get three strikes, uh, you can't stream. So so I, I worry about strikes. And there's very few, uh, there's very few, usually bands, uh, Eagles being one of them, uh, that are backwards enough to actually give people strikes. So, um, and then actually, I think it has a detrimental effect on their, um, on their overall uh, popularity because they just get used a lot less. If you look at, the the, per, the person that probably knows the most about how to use let people use your stuff is Taylor Swift, <laughs> like because she doesn't you know she'll track it but she's not I don't think she even demonetizes it she just tracks you can do tracking, um, but if you look at like Shake It Off the number of videos it was 
I think hundred over a hundred thousand videos were created based on her song, you know, and that that was a and that definitely impacted this tour, you know, like that 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 connection that people have to that song, and to other songs that she makes because they allow she allows them to do that. Um, next question. Andre Dole in Berlin is back again with streaming to YouTube with 8 megabits per second. Am I assuming correctly that a 1080p 60 stream gets much more compressed than a 1080p 30 stream? And so if streaming a panel discussion is 1080p 30, preferable over 1080p 60. Go ahead, Courtney. Yes, I would go at 1080p 30. A panel discussion doesn't have any, you know, high-speed action or anything in it, so I think that would be fine. If you're doing sports, maybe maybe you want to rethink that. But for a panel discussion, I think it's fine. It'll your computer will do be, being will have less work to do if it's going to try and compress it to if the input requirements for YouTube are 1080p 30 to crush it down before it sends it. Uh, and you're having to deal with half the amount of data going into that compressor. So the funny thing is, I, I agree that in general, when when constrained with uh, uh, data rates, uh, I would definitely go down to thirty. I mean, that's that's the first thing that you would cut is your is your frame rate. Uh, but I will say, and right by the way, the target you should have is not eight but twelve. Twelve or sixteen megs um, is where you want to stream your your to YouTube. That's what you want to that's what you want to deliver your 1080p sixty at. Um, I can, I, I'm not going to get into the math right now, but there's a, there's a math, mathematical equation there <laughs> for your compression and, uh, 12 megs is, is, is what you should consider a minimum target for 1080p 60. Um, and so you, you are going to be over compressed, much more compressed because six megs is what we target 1080p, um, uh, 30. The, um, the, what I will say is there's something about adding more frames that makes something feel more present. And I made fun of that for a solid decade when people said that. And as I started to shoot 60 frame per second things, I realized that it, there's something that you're, as you go up in that frame rate, there's something that feels more real and people feel more connected to it. And it's, it's a feeling thing that, that people have. And what we really see it is at 120. At 120, it just feels like a window, you know. And, but as we approach that 120, we end up with something that feels more like you're, like you're there. So um, we, we're still doing 30 mostly because, um, because this is 30, because, uh, <laughs> because Zoom is at 30. But, but I, and, I, and I don't think it's bad. I think it's fine. But I do think that there is a, there is a potential advantage to going to 60. I, I run, most of my shows are actually run at 60, 60 frames a second now, um, 60 whole frames, but progressive, not interlaced trash. Um, next question. John Foltz, Ceilings Grove, Pennsylvania. Could someone explain how to set the USB inputs on a mix pre so that the Fenwick sound desk trick works? I'm having trouble with that. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, yes. Here's the problem. Sorry about that. Um, when, when we did this setup with you, Alex, it was super simple. Remember, I, I even said, hey, we got to be worried because this is going to go uh, south. When I did the setup with Nigel, we had a problem. What I would like to do with John and possibly Nigel is set up a time where we can all get in after that's, hours. That's great, but we can't keep on throwing things to after hours. Like if you can show something, that'd be great. <laughs> you know, like, I have, like nothing, I have nothing to show you because I don't know what the problem is yet. 
Well, I, I think that just the, you know, it, I think we can't keep on throwing things after after hours. We have to like, you know, like, okay. so, so the, um, you know, I think that the, explain how the USB answer. inputs work, but I think that the USB inputs, um, let's see here, I'll, I'll open up Luke back here. We'll take a look at it. So here's the, I mean, I think that the question really is, I'm, and, I, and I, I think that, John, if you can be more uh, specific about, like, what you're having trouble with. You're having trouble with it, but what is not, it, the question is, what part of it are you, are you having issues with? So if we look at um, uh, this here. So this is, the, this is what we had talked about before with the sound, this is the sound desk input. Um, to those output channels. So this is getting everything to the sound desk. Now, if you're talking about the mix pre, um, so that's, that's my mix pre to zoom. There's so many. And you're looking at the loopback settings. Is, is, is that what he's looking at or is he looking well, at? That's, what I'm seeing here is loopbacks patching. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, I don't know if he, if that's, I don't know if he's, if that's what he's having trouble with or not. If, if, if he's having, if the question is, is are you having oh, let's see let me jump into audio settings here if the question is is how do you set this the other thing that you have to look at is if your mix pre is set up if your if your device is set up for more than more than one channel by the way if you turn off the outputs on your mix pre this option will turn off like it won't appear so it'll only appear if you're sending if you have the other channels available and so here you can turn channels on and off here inside of uh inside of zoom so, um, so those are the things, but if you let us know whether you're having trouble in loopback or whether you have trouble in zoom or whether it's both, we can definitely jump into after hours on it, but, but we'll, we'll keep on trying to use the show to, to do that. Next question. Next one comes to us from David in London and David asks a music store in Germany is offering a significant black Friday discount, 52% off for the boss C a GCS dash eight gigacaster eight. How does this mixer compare to the Rodecaster Pro 2? And that's a QR code question. Go ahead, Courtney. I haven't looked at all the specs on this, and I'm coming to you on a Rodecaster Pro 2. Uh, it looks very similar in design. And, uh, you know, if you look at it, it has, you know, it has the same number of uh, little buttons there to play back uh, stuff. And it has a mute and a solo button on each input. It has uh, multiple inputs. Some of them are dedicated since it has, if you look up here, these buttons for each these channels you know you only have four channels that are fixed preamp inputs and then the rest is a bluetooth a phone uh, a usb and these are dedicated so i don't think it's as flexible as the roadcaster the roadcaster has you can assign any of those things to any of the channels or virtual channels so you have a lot a little more flexibility in uh, channel assignments with the roadcaster uh, I did notice that uh, I went looking for sales on this. There were a lot of open boxes for sale uh, for cheap, which leads me to believe that a lot of people bought it, didn't like it, and sent it back. Uh, so uh, I'd be wary of that. I, and I haven't, like I say, I haven't used this. So look online for some comparison uh, reviews, see if somebody has reviewed both of them. Half off is a pretty good price, but whether or not that's an open box or B stock, you know, that remains to be seen. Uh, next question. Sorry, this got uh, turned around on me here. That's um, okay. Um, 
Next question comes to us from Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. Is there a part that I can put on my mixer to give me a readout of the decibels that are entering my headphones before I even start any sound? Ear damage prevention and understanding limits, I believe, is his goal here. Another QR code question. I don't think you can do that. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> I don't think you can. I don't think you can uh, do this. I'm going to bill. I'm going to hand it really fast, like 10 seconds. Yeah, but I don't think you can either because you need to have some sort of transducer at the earphone to get its accurate reading. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, the um, impedance of the headphones affects the sound output, and so it depends on what headphones you'd be plugging in. Yes, and and uh, yeah, everything because it's what comes out of that speaker, and you'd have to be able to measure. You know, decibels are really something you'd measure there. So yeah, it would be very very difficult. Uh, we'll be jumping into another hour of Q&A. So if you've got questions, uh, you can go ahead and throw them in. We've got a fair number of them in there. So if you're in Makana, make sure to vote on the questions. We don't have as many votes for the second hour. So throw, get in there. Let us know uh, what order you'd like us to answer these questions. Um, and so throw those questions in. If you have new questions, go ahead and ask those right now in Makana. Or you can use askofficehours.global. So you can go to askofficehours.global, throw those questions into uh, that drop, and we will file them into the system as we go. Um, and a quick reminder that we will be doing a volunteer meeting on Saturday. That is still going to happen uh, this week. So if you're a vol- if you're a volunteer, the new volunteer one was last Saturday. The, the regular volunteer one is this Saturday. Every Saturday we have some sort of meeting. I'm jumping in the second hour, and we're back. For more questions, let's go to the next question. Matthias Utila in Helsinki, Finland, says, considering to upgrade comm system to Unity from Discord, should a dedicated Mac Mini be reserved to run Unity? Small team, he has three to six people and want to send program audio to all participants and more than one PL. Party line. What else is needed on the top of a base license? Go ahead, Chris. Uh, Matthias, I haven't actually set this up, but I do know that Doug Ferguson, part of the Discord and Office Hours community, he has his Unity um, package is all set up on a Mac Mini, and he um, he is able to manage it remotely. Um, so if you're in the process of uh, evolving, you know, keep in mind there are people that will that have these setups that can set up to do a show for you um, quite quickly. Uh, that's what I do. I just use Doug. I go, hey, Doug, I need six comms, and here's the names, and he sends me an email back. It, it's it's quite handy. But, yes, a Mac Mini will run a Unity instance quite well. Yeah, and I would, I would dedicate a computer to it, um, and I would get usually – it's pretty easy to upgrade, but I would still look at getting five more licenses than you need. <laughs> like, it's just like you just, so you're not sitting there like figuring out how to do the upgrade and how to do the other things there. Um, you know, just get a five, you know, for me, I think we have, I, don't, I think at this point, the Unity system that we use for some of the stuff we use are, is probably 40, 40 licenses, somewhere in that range, 40, 50 licenses. But, but the, um, but, but there's also an unlimited version that you'll get to someday if if you keep going down that path. But I think if you're looking for five, three to six, I think there's a 10-person license that you can jump onto that I'd probably recommend to give you a little bit of headroom. You can just throw it right in. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I was going to say uh, early on in the pandemic, I was doing a show uh, out of a retail outlet in San Francisco, and I had I was using Tucker's Unity instance, and I was on – Tucker was just basically spying on the show the whole day. And as I'm walking out at the end of the day, 
one of the um, producers came up to me and asked, hey, could could we add a couple more people on the comms? And I literally had Tucker on my earbuds all day long. And in my head, I hear him go, yes, I can do that right now. <laughs> like it was just it was just like having a little spy in your, a little, you know, a little spy in your pocket. And it was great. And yeah. it, yes, the the possibility of more licenses being added at the last minute is very, very common. Uh, and and uh, also consider, like, I have a PDF that I made that shows people how to do it. It reduced all of our questions to zero. Like, it is like a step one, step two, step three. It's a bunch of pictures. I took screen captures. I have things that go over top of it, like, just type this in, you know, and uh, and it, it's like eight pages or six pages or something like that. And we just send that out to clients, and we put a lot of clients that have never seen it. Um, and I have one for uh, Unity and one for ClearCom, both the exact same thing. And when I send it out, I get no feedback. Like nobody asks how to get on. Um, next question. Uh, looks like Michelle Patria in Poland. I might have got that wrong. Sorry. Are there filters or special glass so that, for example, lights or the operator are not reflected in the glass? What's the best way to deal with situations like this? Go ahead, Courtney. There are coatings. However, they're quite expensive. Fluoride coatings or anti-reflective coatings you can put on glass, but you wouldn't want to do that in a situation where you're trying to eliminate the reflection of a camera operator in a pane of glass, for example, in a window. Uh, we we deal with that in, in uh, television shows. What they do is, let's say you have a bullpen that's supposedly surrounded by glass and you're shooting inside that thing all day. You never want to see the camera operator or the camera reflected in the glass that's behind people. So every single piece of glass in that uh, set is designed to gimbal so it rotates you know for you know three or four or five degrees in either direction so that you can position it so that it's reflecting something else in the room rather than the camera operator so that's how we deal with it on hollywood sets if you're dealing with it in a situation where you don't have control you're not building the set you can't build gimbals in you use a polarizing filter which you can get and put on the camera uh, here's a, a linear polarizer. Make sure it's not a circular polarizer. A linear polarizer, you can rotate and it will eliminate uh, reflections in glass. However, a warning, it does increase the saturation of all your colors and everything. A skin will look a little bit weird because you're not seeing any re reflectivity off of people's skin. And so their faces look much redder or uh, much more colorful than they would without the polarizing filter. Uh, the anti-reflective fluoride coating is used on the back of, uh, let's say, prompter glass to keep inner lens reflections from showing up. Or it's used sometimes in the front of filters that you put on the camera so that they're, if they're flat filters, so that they're not reflecting light back onto the, uh, to the actors. So fluoride coating would be what you need in that case if you're worried about reflections back into the scene. Good, Bill. Courtney got most of it. I will only add that one of the things I used to always carry on field shoots were four pop-ups. They were white on one side and black on the other, and I would always use the black side to kill reflections off reflective surfaces. Look at the scene, see what it's reflecting, and put that black blocker between what is being reflected and the camera or, or the, the glass, and it'll just eliminate that. It got to the point where we had one in a uh, grooming center for one of the pet smarts, and I had to bring in 45 feet of black pipe and drape, and we just set it in front of that whole window so that none of the products on the shelves, which were a horrible problem at first, would reflect, worked perfectly. 
Yeah, the um, uh, Mickey's suggesting dulling spray, which works really well. Uh, you want, you'll now understand why everyone wears black on set. <laughs> so yeah, because, right there. You know, everyone's got black, 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 black to reduce the uh, reflections that might show up. Uh, I had a friend that spent um, a couple of years ago, I mean, maybe a decade ago, a couple of years now. I'm getting to that age where you go a, a couple of years ago, and it turns out to be 10 or 15 years ago. Um, but uh, they uh, spent, I think, nine weeks rotoing out reflections out of car windows, you know, like of cranes and things. It was all effect shots. But so Roto, Roto can help too. Uh, next question. Daniel Partridge in Rochester, Minnesota, have been really tempted to buy the Personas Revelator IO24, normally use the Focusrite 2i2 in conjunction with the QL1, but thought this might be nice for times with no QL1 since it has the built-in DSP and meters. It's now on sale for $99. Is this a good idea? Personas is a really nice uh, interface, and for $99, it's a great deal. Like, that's a great deal for the Personas. Um, I've, I have a hate-hate uh, relationship with the Focusrite 2i2, so um, so I don't, you know, some people have a love-hate with it. I just have hate. Like, I just, it just burns up so much. It has burned up so much of my time that I'm bitter about it. So um, of supporting other people with them that can't get it to work. Um, so that's the only thing I'll say. I'm, I, I, I know people who have been very successful at using it. I just spent a lot of times up against that wall. So uh, I, if, if I was going to lean between the two, I think the Personas Revelator is a pretty nice box. Um, I have one. Um, I don't use it very much because I have a Mix Pre 3. But, but, I, but I have have one and I've tested it and I thought it was a very solid box. And at $99, it's a great deal. Uh, the other thing to look at if you're just looking for a basic interface is this, uh, I think I have one here. Uh, maybe not in reach. Um, the uh, Sure makes this X2U. Uh, the new one is is pretty solid as well. Next question. Danny Grizzle on Longview, Texas, up next with uh, regarding managing multiple Apple devices. Any advice on transition to Apple Business Manager and Mobile Device Managers? And he's wondering if Kanji, K-A-N-D-J-I, is a good option. Um, the uh, There's a company out of Canada, and for some reason I just... Um, uh, it's just, it's just, uh, uh, can't jamf. The, the one that almost everybody that I know that you uses does fleet management is jamf. And, and, uh, I've worked with a bunch of the guys on some projects and they're smart people. <laughs> so I would, I would look hard at jamf, um, J A M F. Next question. Pedro Gonzalez in Oklahoma is up next. What would be the better camera? Uh, the Canon EOS R100 mirrorless camera with an 18 to 45 millimeter lens or the Sony ZV-E10 mirrorless camera with a 16 to 50 millimeter lens. The Canon is cheaper, but some have stated that the focusing mechanism is subpar. Use case is Zoom meetings. Uh, I would lean towards uh, the Sony's for the focus for a webcam. So I don't know enough about the Canon to know. Uh, I can tell you that the Sony is the best autofocus that I've used, and I'm using one right now. I'm using FX30. Uh, uh, I do have the um, uh, I do have the EV10. The only thing I'll or the ZV-E10. I have one of those as well. Um, I don't know if I have it in reach. I have a couple a couple of the Sony's. the 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 problem with the E10 has is the same problem with the the the, the ZV-E1 or Z1 or EVZ1 that's very Sony does not know how to name products. Anyway, um they uh uh that I'm having a lot of overheat problems with that one. And so uh so the the overheating inside of the Sony's, you know, the FX30 does not seem to have that problem, which is why I'm back on an FX30. 
Um, but I'm, but the other ones I'm having some, you know, heat management issues and that's with a dummy battery, with the window opened, you know, at, you know, at highest, maybe 72, 73 degrees, uh, in the, in the room. I just don't, I, you know, I, I, I'm having some confidence issues on the smaller, the smaller Sony cameras. So, uh, you know, for, for that process, um, next question. Mark Sanderson in Chesterfield in the UK. The Roland Aerocaster is a switcher designed for iPhones. Could it be used in a professional capacity? And that's one of our QR code questions. Yeah, I haven't used the Roland. It I don't think anybody here has used the Roland. I, to, I put it into research on it. And then it looks I a little it. like the MX-1, kind of, but it's got obviously very different capabilities and designed for web streaming. Yeah, it's a, you know, all of these, I'd, I'd like us to get to a point where we start um, it's really built as a hardware interface with an iPad. Um, who else does that? Some, there's someone else that we've had on the show that does that as well. I'm just am I coming up with names quickly. Um, the uh, it's, Anyway, um, but yeah, so this is designed so that your iPhones can connect to uh, your iPad and then you have a hardware interface to actually do. Uh, there's a couple companies that have done these kind of iPad-based um, solutions. Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, I took a look at this at CES when it first came out, and I thought that it was going to be the bee's knees for beginning production. Um, as it evolved out, though, there's a guy, Chris Carson, who's really into um, this mobile streaming uh, market. And looking at his landscape, he uses uh, Switcher Studio, which is a popular iPad app. And the clarity of that one and the way that they update that app is what makes that thing a total success. So if you're doing, in, if you're in the research phase, look at Switcher Studio and compare the two because people that are doing this professionally are able to do it with Switcher Studio. Whereas I used to be a Roland dealer and I love their products, but this one was not a home run for us. So I can't say that this is one where um, I'd recommend it for a prof professional solution. I would go with what's tried and true and what others are using. And Cinemaker is the other one that I was, that's the name I was, I was reaching for. <laughs> Cinemaker isn't probably another one. Have you tested that one guy? Have you played with Cinemaker at all? Yeah, Cinemaker's pretty decent. But uh, again, Switcher Studio is one of those ones where it's the users are pushing that, that developer uh, to keep, keep going down the path and they have the money to do it. Whereas some of these other ones, it just wasn't a home run so that there's less developers uh, doing yeah. things. Good, Courtney. Yeah, if you're going to use the iPhone, it's a, I guess it's an okay solution. It doesn't have, one thing I don't like about it is it has no HDMI input. So you can only use, sorry, you can only use your uh, phone or, or uh, USB, like a webcam interface into it. It does have uh, analog audio inputs and it has a much better mixer than, let's say, the uh, ATEM Mini does. It's about the same price as an ATEM Mini uh, Pro. So, um, but it, and it does have those uh, you know sliders for control of the audio on the front, so that's a good good a plus for it. But I haven't used it. Again, go ahead, guy. Yeah, that was the thing when I was testing one of the sister products in that line that it was limited to twelve eighty by seven twenty, and I was like, "What in the world? Come on, guys!" Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, is it still limited to that? Is it still limited seven twenty p? I'm pretty sure this one's yeah, seven twenty kind of as well on the wireless factor. So yeah, yeah, that's kind bummer. of a deal breaker. Um, next question. Roger Martin coming to us from the Tonto Basin area in Arizona. I'm streaming 24-7 HD video to a CDN con uh, currently using vMix Playlist for rotation and encoding two streams. Looking for scheduling video software and inexpensive hardware PC or Macs designed just for video streaming also to be able to encode with AV1. 
Yeah, I'm not sure about the AV1 part um, as far as what can encode there, but one there's a couple different ones that that might be um, possible for you. As far as scheduling software, there's, there is, um, Softron makes one called just, uh, or um, Softron on the air, which is a scheduling software that we use a lot for a lot of things. And it's very high quality. It has streaming built into it. Um, so you can do a lot of those things internally to it. Another one is called Just Play um, and uh, from On The Air. And uh, so Just Play is another one that is, these are scheduling software. These are really, and the, uh, they're designed to be run, to run television stations, like to to push these. They're not $10. They're, I think they're in the $2,500 to $5,000 range to run, to, to run the software. And I don't know there's plenty of ones on the PC. I just don't know them. Uh, so the so the, the places that we've done that, and what they'll do is they'll they'll you can have ads that are dynamically added. You can have holes for live feeds. You can have a lot of things that are around those, and those are things that we're researching potentially using for for office hours as well um, to to you know run a longer you know more twenty seven twenty four seven feed once we get our our new place settled. Uh, next question. Here's yet another QR code submission. Mateo in Oakland, California says, has anyone tried ever tried to sync a Deity TC1 and a Tentacle Sync E to the same time code? Does mix and match work? Good guy. Yeah, sure. As long as they're at the the project set to the same frame rate, the time code's time code. It doesn't matter who's who's the leader and who's the follower. So yesterday I showed these little TC1s. And the nice thing about having the same ones is that you you get access to the app. Like So with this one, I could say sync all and boom, all of my TC1s or TC... Yeah, TC1s will uh, sync up right away. So you can see that they're all moving at the same rate. But yeah, then I could jam. So what you do is you... you the first initial jam, you're you're syncing the two together. But what a lot of people like to do is is resync. That's why they'll leave these things hardwired into the camera or the recorder all day long, is so that they don't drift whatsoever. Because there will be a, a tiny bit of drift after a certain amount of hours. So some people like during lunch, they'll they'll break and and they'll rejam if they're not going to leave a leave a, a hardwired device like a locket on it. So uh, yeah, they'll definitely work together. Next question. Chris Taylor in Carlsbad, California, up next with another QR code. I'm looking for a useful in-office PTZ webcam. Which do the panelists prefer, Obspot or Instalink 360? Good, Chris. Chris, I have both of them sitting right in front of me. And when I when I moved my office to the to my mom's house here, um, I picked the Instalink to use for me because I I didn't set up the other camera. Uh, and I think the reason I chose this one is because Alex had said he liked he liked it better. Um, but they're literally, I mean, it, it was six of one, half a dozen of the other, but by my eye. But I, I think that Alex prefers the installing for faces and stuff. Uh, yeah, the, the the thing that I have both, I have the Obsbot and the Insta three sixty link, and the 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 issue uh, the issue with the Obsbot is that those Mac software is very buggy, like it's just super buggy. And and so uh, I got the Obsbot because it had an API that we could potentially grab onto it. But we haven't grabbed onto the API, and the software doesn't work very well. So so I I'm back to the link. <laughs> the Obsbot sits there with hopes that I might use it for something uh, more. Uh, but uh, yeah, but that's the that's the problem that I have with the Obsbot is that the software is super buggy, and they should fix it. Um, next question. Pedro Gonzalez in Oklahoma says, I want to add effects to my vocals for Zoom meetings, i.e. compression and EQ. Can I do it with GarageBand Logic Pro OBS? Those are programs I already have installed. Good, Bill. 
Well, there's probably a process through OBS and things like that. But generally, if you're doing a real-time thing, going out and coming back in tends to add latency into the system. So I'm not sure I would go in those directions. Also, I'm just going to say this. I'm now a firm believer in Alex's original thought here is that I have stripped out all audio processing from my vocal chain. Other than that little bit of noise reduction, the harder, the longer you talk to people, the harder it is to have any processing on there because it just gets fatiguing over the course of time. As close as you can get to what it actually sounds like hitting the microphone diaphragm, sending out to me is the real standard that everybody should be pursuing. Yeah, I, I've definitely found that over time that I've just slowly, I had a lot of stuff. I had the you know, tons of processing on these things. And I've gotten down to the point where I want it as raw as I can. I just want to clean up things. I just don't want as many S's. I also don't want, you know, the, I, I, it's a little bit of noise reduction, but that's about it. It's same as Bill. Um, next question. Guy Cochran in Seattle, has Courtney worked with James Burke? Did you work with James Burke, Courtney? Yes. We were talking earlier in the, uh, I had it somewhere here. Pre-show, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, there was a, a show that James Burke did. We were talking about the Hotel Del Coronado down in, sorry about the glitch, down in uh, 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 San, Diego. San Diego. And uh, I shot, uh, worked on a, a James Burke uh, thing called the Neuron Suite. We'll play four seconds of it here. One, two, three, four. Anyway, he um, he used the uh, the Hotel Del Coronado, as you can see here, as an example of the brain and how neurons work with the people working and all the stuff. And so we were able to work with James down at the Hotel Dell for uh, two or three days just to shoot that sequence of a longer series. That's just one part of the long, longer series called the Neuron Suite. So it was great to work with him uh, and great to stay at the Hotel Dell while we were there. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, uh, I got to work with him a little bit about almost 20 years ago. And just one of the most inspiring people to be on the phone with. I just have to say that like his, the speed at which his brain works and the, and he keeps it so interesting. I think people like, he's just fascinating to listen to, to talk. You can just listen to him talk all day because it's just, it just gets you thinking. Um, it's just really his ability to package ideas is just amazing. Yeah. Go ahead, Courtney. Add one thing. Uh, he did wear the same cream colored leisure suit that he wore in connections. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and and I will say, if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched Connections, uh, it is still, in my opinion, the gold standard for educational content ever made. Like there is nothing that has ever happened before or after that is as good as that series. And I'm just talking about Connections 1. The other ones are good, but they're not gold standard. But the Connections 1 um, just reset that whole system and we've never... Uh, I think, you know, just haven't in, in the vertical of, of cooking, Good Eats, which was based on it, um, got close as far as the quality of showing you how to do things limited to the capabilities of that team to do computer, computer graphics and so on and so forth. But, but I think that, you know, somewhere in the future, my goal is always that we will start to produce videos that take the structure of what James Burke did and then add you know, the capabilities that we have to make something really, you know, exciting to watch about specific things. But I, that should be something, if you're doing educational material, you should watch Connections. I've, and the, the result is when my kids were nine and 10 years old, if we played Connections on TV, you weren't allowed to talk in the room from their point of view. They were like, we're trying to keep up. Like, and they, and they're nine and 10 years old, like talking about big 
big history things and science and everything else. It wasn't just that it was very educational. It's that it was engaging. And it, and it just, you, you know, I think there's still a, an argument that we should go back and just capture it piece by piece, like just watch it piece by piece. It was also the largest budget that BBC and PBS had ever spent on anything at that point. And so they definitely played all the way in and it's just an amazing, amazing collection. Uh, next question. Bobby Rafferty in Central Florida, back again. Uh, there are differences in gamma in broadcast Rec 709 standard and Apple QuickTime. How do you deal with this difference for delivery? Good, Bill. So I had to make a switch, and it was a painful switch because I've been working in or around broadcast for most of my career. And I got to the point maybe 10 years ago where I suddenly realized that actually my deliverable audience was more in mobile devices than it was broadcast. So I started pulling back from being as obsessive about Rec. 709 and broadcast sanders and the scopes. I still have them. I still use them. I still care about that, particularly if I'm delivering into broadcast. But 99% of my efforts these days are to make sure that I'm okay with Apple's managed color pipeline, which they built back in when they first did OS 10, 15 years ago. And if it's right on one iOS device now, if it's right on an iPad or an iPhone, I'm pretty sure that when I send it out, everybody watching on those same devices are going to get the exact same color experience I did, which was the whole hassle for me back in the Rec. 709 days when everybody's monitor was tuned a little different and you're always trying to do to bars and tone to get a chance of being equal. And then you'd walk into a sports bar and every TV in there would look different and it was horrible. So I'm happy to live in Apple's managed color pipeline now. It makes my life a lot easier. Yeah, the, we used to joke that NTSC stood for never the same color. So, um, so the, uh, so, so the, uh, um, what were you going to say, Chris? Twice, never twice same color. Well, we just we just called it never the same color. Anyway, so the, um, but but I, I typically. Uh, if it matters, if the color matters that much, I'm sending it out to a colorist who's come, doing it in Resolve, and you know, usually it's Charles <laughs> doing it in Resolve, and uh, they're looking at it on a color accurate monitor, and they're, they're going to deliver the final piece, and I trust them to do that. But I will check it against my iPhone. So if I'm looking for something, I will. If my iPhone, without you know the any of the colorations that it does for nighttime viewing or anything else, at full brightness, I'll look at something on my iPhone or my iPad, and I'll make decisions about it. Apple that those those monitors as a walk around to look at something are the most accurate monitors that I know of. Um, next question. Dave Troutman, Edmonton, Canada. With uh, machine learning AI available to replace and remove things, might we find more stop-motion animation with some puppetry for some shots? Now go ahead, uh, Courtney. It's still just as tedious to shoot. One thing you might use the AI for is rig removal because... You know, I think a lot that's what of he's times, talking about is, is yeah. being able to do rig removal. Rig removal. Because a lot of times, anytime a puppet has to fly through the air or something, you got to have it up on wires. And you have to remove all those in post-production. So AI would do a pretty good job of removing that. Or or even the uh, pointers that they put in for measuring You know, in between each frame. They usually put them in and take them out. But you could just leave them in, I guess, uh, and move them each frame without having to take them out each frame and just have AI remove the uh, uh, position pointers that, you know, markers or what, I don't know what they call them, Alex, but the, these know. little, these little devices that have little things that you point at, like where the, where the character's hand is uh, for the last frame. And then you take it out and then you move the hand, then you put it back in right. and then you move the hand. So you know how far you've moved it if you're moving it through the air. 
but you could use it for removal. I love the look of stop motion, but it is the most impractical thing. <laughs> like it's really fun for kids to learn because it's very organic. But it is like when you when you would learn how to do this in a computer graphics program, you're like, I'm not going back. Like I'm not going back to that. Like I, I won't go back to 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 having to commit to something and then realize that it was a little too fast. Um, and now I can't do anything about it. I couldn't couldn't go back and fix it. I, I'm I'm amazed by it. It's one of those things like I'm amazed. I look at it. I think this is a this is and I've done some stop motion and. I've done it all sat like a Saturday afternoon. I've done something for three seconds that I that I thought, and it was it was fun to do it as an as as an experience. But I was like, I'm never doing production this way. This would make me crazy. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I used to do it with my eight millimeter camera, but these days with generative AI, and since you can now, uh, you know, video out of generative AI is still kind of dicey. Uh, but if you can say in the style of Rankin Bass, you know, make this yeah. character and just animate that. You don't have to build a puppet to do any of the animation. Just let the generative AI just generate your whole animation. It's going to be really interesting. We're already seeing some generative AI um, going into Blender and other things like that. And as that picks up, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with uh, the creative process. You know, and again, I think that people say, well, you know, all these artists, but I think that there's a lot of people that are creative that have ideas that they want to express that just can't do the do the thing. And um, I, there's a new program I was just looking at um, that I haven't tested enough to know whether it works or not. But you can just hum into it the the tune that you want and then say, make that an electric guitar. <laughs> and it just does it. And then you can hum the drums into it and then you can hum the things into it and you get, and that that's not, it, it isn't skilled, but it doesn't mean that it's not creative. You know, that you're you're thinking of something, you can hear something in your head that you want to put out. And I think there's an enormous number of people that have things in their head that they'd like to, like ideas and concepts that they'd love to get out, even if it's just taking that concept to get it close enough that you can hand it to a professional who knows how to do it and let them do it again for you. I've talked to some supervisors, some visual effects supervisors who do who use MidJourney that way where they describe something. I want this, I want this, I want this. Now they spent 20 minutes on something. They can hand it to a concept artist and say, that's what, the direction that I'm looking for, but I want this and this and this. And then that that uh, artist, it saves them weeks of time of going back and forth because to do that image would have taken that artist another couple days. Um, they're not using that image. They're just using it as reference, a reference point at like a, like a mood board. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, and I wonder with, with all the deep fake work of being able to replace people's mouths on real, real cinematography, if you could just... Uh, build the puppets without the mouths and then lay the dialogue and have AI generate just the mouth stuff and yeah. uh, and move it. It'd be a lot of easier course. to generate and deep fake all. And then you could change the dialogue anytime you wanted to and well, everyone, not have to reanimate it. Every stop motion animator listening to the show is clutching their pearls right now. <laughs> like, how, how would you say that? Anyway, next, next, next question. Next one comes from Douglas Carmichael. What cloud providers does the panel prefer for virtual ser servers on FreeBSD or Linux? I go ahead, Guy. Yeah, I'm not an expert on this, but I do have AWS, and there is a free tier that we use with the T2 Micros. So in AWS, you could uh, spin up um, these little uh, free tiers that uh, are, are totally free as long as, like a T2 Micro is one where you can use their AMIs and um, just 
go ahead and put applications on those and, and they, you, you can leave them on 24 seven and there's no, no charge. I also have um, Google cloud and I have Azure as well. And you can use those places to, uh, to run your Linux servers. But uh, the cost is depending on how heavy weight of a machine that you use will determine what kind of fee that you're going to pay. Cause on a T2 micro, it'll go to about a penny an hour uh, depending on how long you've had your account. If they'll give you that totally free, but yeah, that's uh, those are the three. Next question. Ranjan Chandil in Los Angeles. Consensus on a mute button that is very clear that you are muted across all computers and software, such as Zoom, Teams, and so forth. Good, Bill. Some variation on hardware muting is what I have come down to. People here, I know, um, use Studio Technologies, more expensive boxes. I use the, I think it's $69 uh, Rolls mic mute. But again, the thing about it is I know if the button's up or down, and I ran my finger against it. I have my actual one that's live under my finger right there. And if it's down, I'm on. If it's up, I'm off. There's no question for whatever service going out. It's the next thing to my mic fed into the In-N-Out XLRs. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i using a Studio Technologies 205. It's expensive, as, as, uh, as Bill said. And because I'm sitting here yesterday, I sat here in meetings or podcasts for uh, somewhere between eight and nine hours. Um, and uh, that's not an, an unusual Tuesday for me. I use this enough that my cost per hour on my 205 is very pennies, <laughs> pennies. So or maybe, maybe nothing at this point. Um, so it's buy one, cry once, as Chris would say. Uh, and, and I can, uh, the advantages, I look down, I can, I can just glance down at it and it's a light. It's on or off. It's an analog input that's there. I can, um, and I, I also have, if I, if I tie it to tie talk back, which I don't have set up right now, and you'll see me talking and that's me pushing a talk back button. That means that when I want to talk back into, like I'm about to split Unity, my or the comms we use for the show into another computer and, and this will go to that. And so when I push down, it'll go out of that and immediately be able to talk over, you know, I'll be able to talk on Unity without having to even look at it um, if I'm trying to go to a specific channel. So that's the kind of stuff that um, you can do with it. it. Again, it's like 800 bucks or something. It's not, it's not cheap. Uh, I think bills, I have one of bills as well. This is what you have, the rolls, Mike Switch? Yeah, the MS-111. It's, I think, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, this one, the, the thing, it, Bill's right that it does that. The, the clicking bothers me, just that it makes so much noise when it clicks. Um, and, then, uh, and then it's a little harder for me to look down and identify it. When you're used, to, this would be fine if I was tuned to it. And when I'm used to a light, it's not enough. <laughs> like, I just wish, I wish they'd put a light in it and then I'd be happy. I do feel like there's a business that we should all get together as the office hours crew and start designing the pieces of hardware that we really need that do exactly what we really need and then put them out because I'm just kind of like they're everybody's office so close hours branded hardware. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like, cause it's, we're so close, like we're so close to, to the we, right we thing. We have a Fenwick framer. Cause I would, exactly, saying. exactly. And, and, um, you know, I, I, uh, my, my issue is, is that I would love to have something that was simpler than the 205 and less expensive than 205. Um, that just had one little light that I could turn on and off. Um, you know, there's lots of little products. I think we, we, I mean, we'll do a second hour where we just do a brainstorming of all the products we should be building that no one's quite got right, <laughs> including cameras. All right, go ahead, Courtney. 
Yeah, if you had that, if you could open that thing up and change the push push switch out with one that had an additional terminal on it, to switch an LED that you could mount outside somewhere in your field of view, yeah. so that when it's depressed, the LED turns red, et cetera, would be great. I always, as far as all software and a mute, I mean, I have. I mean, the price of the the mute switch that you and Mitch are using costs more than my Rodecaster Pro 2, which has, of course, a mute button on all the inputs and it's silent. My problem is I can't see it from where I am and getting my hand to it because my mouse is over the anyway. Uh, it's hard for me. If it were on the desk in front of me, it'd make perfect sense because it lights up red. When you hit it, it's completely silent to mute. Um, but what I like using is the mute in Zoom or Teams, because not only does it uh, give me an indication on the screen that I can see when it's muted, when it's not muted, but it gives everybody else the indication uh, that's on the call that I'm muted or not muted. And the problem is if you have a, a mechanical mute like Alex or, you know, we can't tell whose mic is unmuted when there's strange noise coming in because it doesn't show it. So since they're not, not ever muted in Zoom, we can't tell whose microphone is feeding stuff in and not. You know. Yeah, I try to keep almost everything I do in hardware so that my software just turns on. Like I just jump into Teams or meet or whatever, and I don't have to figure out any of the goofy ideas that they had about doing what they're doing. And you know, I just have this is my interface. You know, like and that's that's it. And I and so my system is completely separated from that, um, and I do that pretty they, intentionally. The other thing I might mention is that when you don't mute, uh, when you mute with the software in Zoom, uh, it will, it's noise removal gets freaked out if you're mechanically muting going in because it doesn't, it uses that, that period of time when you're not speaking, but muted to determine how to remove the noise from your particular audio chain. And if you are muting everything coming into Zoom, it doesn't see that noise until you've unmuted right. and by then it's too late. And because I have a mix pre with noise assist, I don't think about that as much. Um, next question. Next question <laughs> comes from John Fisher in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. In your experience, how much continuous use does it take for a Sony ZV-E10 to overheat? Well, I do try to leave it on a lot. Like I, I just kind of, I use it all day. So I just sit down. I don't really turn the cameras off very much. Um, I turn them off at the end of the day, um, but during the day they stay on and I, it doesn't take very long for it to do it when it's warm. So, uh, you know, and, and I can turn it on and off and it seems to work fine. I do, I know someone reached out to me and said, do you put it on the high heat? Yes, I turn the high heat button on. Like it's not on the normal heat button. <laughs> so it's, so it's, 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 uh, it's on the high, high heat setting and still, uh, still closing. So, um, so anyway, so that, and, and that's the, the EV E10, um, it hasn't been as bad. Uh, it has happened maybe once in a month. The E one, the Z E or the E V Z one, which is the twenty two hundred dollar one, has shut off on average once or twice a day since I got it. You know, and yesterday in the middle of a meeting, so I wasn't super excited about that. Um, next question, Douglas Carmichael. The VMware Broadcom acquisition closed yesterday. Considering I've used VMware Fusion since version three, I'm concerned about the future of the product. What other Mac OS virtualiz virtualization solutions does the panel recommend? Uh, the one that we always use was actually Parallels. I don't know. I haven't used one for a long time. I usually just buy PCs if I want PCs and use Macs if I want Macs. I don't, I don't virtualize much anymore. Uh, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I'm just – I'm seeing this more and more and I'm thinking as soon as I read this question, I thought about Avid and the fact that they were just sold out from – you know, they've been there forever and they have this huge penetration in Hollywood. There's a lot of discussion about what will happen. I do think the life cycle of products 
is getting to a point where it's either increasing its success or it's in jeopardy. And I'm, I think there's less um, – I'm just seeing too many of the old standbys and VMware Broadcom Mm -hmm. acquisition may be one of the circumstances where some bigger bear comes in and absorbs them. And then it's a a toss-up as to whether or not that's going to be good for them or they're eventually going to end up parted out. Yeah, I've just stopped using them. I mean, I I don't think I've used a virtualization in a decade um, at this point. I just buy the computers that they're built for. Uh, Next question. Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. Video pencil beta now supports USB cameras. I think this is fabulous, but in my testing, it can get the ATEM minis. I can't get the I can get the ATEM minis working. Thoughts? Okay, maybe you can't see the ATEM mini. Uh, go oh, ahead, maybe guy. that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the beta as well. So shortly after the show, I'll go grab mine and, and can follow up on this. Uh, but I've seen this in the past with the A10 minis where they say that they're UVC class compliant, but they do not show up everywhere that they're supposed to. So if you take a regular USB, like a, a Logitech or a Brio or something and plug it in, that'll most likely work. So you want to run some tests, but I'll run some tests as well. I have an A10 mini right here and my iPad is too far away for me to grab right now and try this. Next question. This one from the QR code again. Uh, it's from Chris in Sarasota, Florida. Curious if you have a list of video-related AI providers. Go ahead, John. Uh, the gold standard right now, futuretools.io. I did a, I did a real quick search on text-to-video, and there's over 2,000 listed right now. The one that I've seen the most used is runway.ai, um, is the one that I'm that most of the people I know that are playing with AI-generated video, AI generated video are using. Um, but I haven't seen the future tool. You said futuretools.ai. That's another future tools, just the list of all the different AIs oh, that are tools. out there. So if yeah. you do a search for text to video, there's 2000 listed right now. Yeah. Runway, runway.ai is the one that I've seen the most used. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah. I ran across a, a story just this morning about, uh, uh, stable diffusion is now testing generative uh, video you can says that you can generate up to 25 frames from a still image now 25 frames isn't a lot so you can't generate a whole scenario but maybe it's just adding motion into a still yeah, frame uh, that you add to it but it yeah a bunch of these have been generative video video you know. yeah a bunch of them are like having little smoke it's like making gifts that have little smoke coming out of the coffee cup or things kind of moving around to just give it a little bit of a flare to it go ahead bill Anybody else get the feeling that it would be a smaller lift list if you looked for video companies that were not investigating AI? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in some way, or shape, or form. But yeah, yeah. the ones that again, the, the and I and I think again, I don't really look at these. I mean, maybe someday they're going to get to a point where they're doing final work. But I really think that the excitement here is to is to be able to rough things out. Uh, and not have to, you know, take up a big team to rough things out and figure things out and 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 work through them um, to get started. Like one of the things I was talking to someone about that they're using, they, I mean, they're not part of the Hollywood pipeline, but they said that they're they're finding a lot of success with um, getting, you know, ChatGPT to write a script for them for something short. They give it a bunch of of pieces. They say write the script, and then they sit down with a couple actors with their friends, and they sit there and they work through it and they make adjustments. And by the end of it, the script, the 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 backbone of the script was created very, you know, in seconds from ChatGPT, and then they spend a day talking through it and saying, oh, well, let's change this word to this and let's change that to that. And and they said, when you get to the end of that, that's actually a pretty good, turned out to be a pretty good script. <laughs> so, so again, using this as part of the, as a, as I think Microsoft has it well, well defined as a, as a co-pilot, 
um, you know, I think that the, it works pretty well. And I think that that's where we'll see it. But gen, uh, run, check out run, runway.ai. Next question. Next one comes from uh, Tlaloc Lopez Waterman in Galisterio, New Mexico. What generator do you recommend for residential backup? What's the change over time on the automatic ones? And what do folks in California with lots of power outages do? Uh, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, I've had big ones and now I have a little one. So this little 2200i is uh, a recommended unit uh, that it, it does a job for a couple fridges and um, for home use. Uh, that was my main concern last year. We were out for a couple of days. The nice thing about this one is it's got this eco throttle mode. So it can really, it's super quiet. So my neighbors were really upset with my big one. It was so loud. It was a diesel. And then you just reek of diesel fuel if you spill any of that on you for days. And so I like the little Hondas because you can parallel them. So you can take two of them and put them together. And you can also get an optional five gallon um like a attachment that lets you run them both for an extended period of time so you're not messing with it uh, a friend of mine has the larger generic uh yeah generic that just ki kicks on automatically it was 20 grand to install into his home and he piped it into the propane gas line and that's the way to do it if you got 20 grand otherwise these are 1199 bucks and you can get two of them uh for you know two grand instead and i bought mine used so look they're always you'll find these on sets everywhere you'll find them on trucks uh it's a standard. So the little Honda Red one's 2200 eyes one I have. Go ahead, Mark. So you really want to go to a supplier that understands what you want to do first because whether it's diesel or gas, natural gas or propane, it's all going to matter on where you are and what supplies you have. Uh, the diesel ones are going to require you filling up extra tanks. You might need extra permits for that. You're going to have to exercise them once a week for 15 minutes, which makes a lot of noise and may not your neighbors may not like that. Um and they're not instantaneous. So part of this whole deal is putting in the switch gear that's going to tie into your, you know, your, where you've got your fuse box and everything. And it's not going to just go automatically and fire because it doesn't know when to do that. So you're going to need some kind of battery in between the two. Yeah. And then there's the, the feeling that you bought it and it doesn't, my parents put a generator into the house uh, and then it didn't, they didn't need it for six years. <laughs> And it was so funny. Like it just, it just sat there. And then there was one day where I, I happened to be at home. I happened to be at my parents' house and all the lights went out and you heard this. And then they popped back up again. And it, and it, and, and the only thing my parents had to do, did it work? Did it work? And they were so excited that, that we lost power. So that I was like, yeah, it flickered for a second, you know, it went down for two seconds and then it came back up and they were very excited. But you can fix that, of course, by using UPSs. So you can have a, a, a you know, and I wouldn't put UPSs on everything. It doesn't need it. Um, you know, so places that I've seen this done in Africa, usually there are a handful of lights. There are the, obviously all their computers and everything else that are sitting on a battery backup. Um, before the generator kicks in. So they, you know, so they, so those things don't flicker. So all the things that matter that are going to be sensitive to being turned on and off. And, and it's funny, and, and one of my friends in Africa had had one, they had just car batteries, like all built, it was like a whole wall of car batteries that would run the, run the show. The Generacs are the most, uh, for generators, the Generacs are the ones that we see the most in the United States. There's a lot of different things around the world, but the Generacs, and you can get the, as I said, standbys that are like 24 kilowatts, you know, of, of, of power, 26 kilowatts that are in the, you know, the raw generator is $6,000. But as Guy said, there's, there's more than just buying the generator. You have to still tie it into the, into the power pipeline. But, but I, you know, what I do is I keep UPSs on my internet connections, on my computers, um, a couple lights. And then I, and then I don't, I'm still looking for a generator. And again, 
most of my neighbors now have them because of California. Um, so, um, because California is a dumpster fire when it comes to power. Um, and so, uh, so the, they, they have, and then the other one, of course, if, you know, is my, I have one neighbor that has the, uh, Tesla roof and two batteries and two Teslas. And, um, and it turns out that if you, if you do a Christmas song, <laughs> you have a lot of revenue to work with. Go ahead, Bill. Um, Man, people always say this, but it's weird. I lived in Arizona for most of my life, and I don't think I can count the number of power outages I had through Arizona Public Service on one hand. They're just the power grid there was incredibly stable, and we didn't have much issue. I moved here to Southern California. It's exactly the same. I've been here for now three, no, five years, and I think maybe once for. 20 minutes, we've lost power. I just think this is localized. So generic thing is, what is your risk profile with the service you have in your area? Because even here, I mean, I know Alex has had all sorts of difficulties. Well, I'm you in Edison, far right? Southern California, and you're I have not. You're I'm at SDG&E, and oh, you're a different, a different provider. It is so random. So I would say pay attention to what your profile and talk to people where you live or if you're moving someplace, say, do you experience these? If so, it's a really good investment. If not, I bought a Honda generator and I had one at my place in Scottsdale for 15 years. I sold it and I had never opened the box. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that if I bought one right now, I would I would end up not ever needing it again. But it, it's just we, we went through way. a couple of years of just just losing. I mean, just getting used to the fact that I'm not going to power. Not having power for a couple hours is one thing. Not having power for a couple of days is another thing. And it starts to really, you know, it means that everything in your fridge went bad. Everything that, you know, like it's just a it's not a trivial problem. And uh, you know, Northern California can't get there together. <laughs> Blank. Uh, go, go ahead, that. Courtney. Yeah, Cal Edison, I think, is a big problem in California, but I'm on Los Angeles DWP, which has been very reliable. The only time we've lost power is during a huge windstorms where it takes out a local transformer or something or the trees blow into the power lines and we'll take it out and then it will be down. I take it back. There was a five-hour loss the other day from a stupid uh, Mylar balloon from a birthday oh party that shorted out the high voltage and it caused the transformers to all blow. And then they have to go through the neighborhood and reset each individual yeah. transformer separately. It takes a long time. But what I was going to mention is uh, that if you have a gasoline powered backup generator, you have to exercise it because uh, it will clog up and gum up unless you run it uh, once a week or at least once a month to test it and get all the fluids running in it uh, to make sure that it's not going to be frozen when you need to come to it six years later, you know, and the gasoline does go bad. So if you have a one that runs on propane or natural gas is a better alternative probably. The other thing I, I, I found that if, if the chit-chatting with someone who was out there tearing up the street in front of me, I found out that um, I said, what's the emergency? This looks pretty planned. And they're like, well, you know, if it's planned, there's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> so, so it's like, so they would call things emergencies and then, and then just, just take everybody's power out so they could make the change. It was just a lot faster than, than going through the six months of paperwork that they'd have to go through to plan it for a couple of days. Yeah, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, I have one of the big UPSs with the alarm, so I know immediately when things go awry. Uh, the one thing that we didn't talk about, which Ken Jordan just brought up in the chat, is the uh, the larger batteries like the EcoFlow. So this is on my dream list. Uh, well, actually, Black Friday. Uh, so 
we're seeing a lot of these even in rental houses. And uh, John uh, Idelson got one for free for his CPAP machine from the local, whatever it is in your county in Marin, uh, Alex. Uh, they're giving away Marin. for free if you if you mm-hmm. need to. His was like a $799 one. I, I believe it was something around this size, like the Delta II. But these are handy because then you don't have to wake up your neighbors spinning up that loud thing. You can run a, a fridge or you know your, your internet router and your server or whatever for a few hours, depending on uh, the yeah. model that you get. But you could stack them and yeah, you recharge them with solar. So uh, the green alternative is there. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I'm totally fascinated with all the different power um, systems and things that you can build. I'm currently designing something with Keenan for my truck with a few hundred uh, watts of solar on the on the roof and giant 200 amp hour batteries, you know, in the bed uh, stowed away. And and then there's all the battery management stuff. I will also say that this statement, Tlaloc, it kind of feels like, you know, people in the Midwest always have uh, tornadoes and people in Florida always have hurricanes. Like, you know, it's like a weekly thing. Uh, and far be it for me to ever sound like I'm defending California because I'm not. But um, in the 60 years I've lived here, and especially like the last 40 of just professionally, I've never had a day where I couldn't work because the power was out. And I know some people do, but it's not it's not quite as common as the question makes it sound out. Uh, I lose sound power. Out. I lose power for at least a day every year. Like it's not you know like it's it's and and, it's, and that's a crazy. I mean, when yeah, I grew you up, you live in a bad in, neighborhood in Pennsylvania. I know exactly a rough neighborhood. Um, the uh, the uh, my when I'm in Pennsylvania, we lost power maybe once every three or four years. Like it was just, and we were lived in the middle of nowhere. Um, next, next question. Douglas Carmichael notes fuzzy feelings. The video animated thing that we show in the early part of the show was edited on a MacBook air without a fan. Wouldn't the air throttle easily with editing workflows like final cut pro good bill. Absolutely not. Oddly enough, I have a MacBook Air in my voice booth and I took it on remote shoots and I've edited with Final Cut in it. And for some reason, the design of this thing does not overheat. I have had zero problems. Now, maybe if I was trying to run something way above its class, like mathematical simulations or something, it might get warm. But I've never had a problem with it at all. And in fact, when I went and did my little live insert from... uh, Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago, I was I did that whole show insert from my MacBook Air and it worked just fine, no problems. Uh, they showed fi- they showed an Air on set as a photo op. Were they actually using it to edit or do this thing? Were they? <laughs> like, like, I don't. I, I think it's a good it's good product placement. But I was like, I I have to admit, I, I kind of skipped over that because I saw it. And I was like. Like, like, did you really do that? Because that just—I will just, say the M2. The only chip reason you do that is I know, but the only fast. reason you—the only reason you do that is for photo op. You don't, you know, you would never, you know, especially if you're Apple and you had all the access to all the hardware that you could possibly use. You're not going to use an Air. Like this is absurd. Um, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I've told this story before in the past. I think last earlier this week, possibly, um, we did a we did a shoot about an edit house. Uh, this is years ago, and uh, we shot all the B-roll, and the note that we got back from Apple was, why are we showing old hardware? Yeah. And they, they sent us new hardware. We went back. We pulled their gear out of their racks. We put in new hardware. We reshot the B-roll. Don't believe everything you see. Yeah. Uh, next question. 
Pedro Gonzalez in Oklahoma. Alex, you comment frequently on your stack of Mac minis. What does each one do? So I have, uh, so the reason I do this is I build, um, I have presentations that I build that are very complicated. And I have to admit that I come from a, a world of, I realize that part of my particularness about presentations is that I, I, you know, I used to do lots of presentations for Fortune 5 companies or Fortune 10 companies. And I'm just used to them being, running at a certain pace. Like I don't want to say, and now I'm going to jump out of my presentation and jump into an app that I want to show you. And I need everything to be in the state that they need to be in when I get to them. So if I'm going to come to show you something like an app, I want that app just waiting there and I'm going to jump to it. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to jump back out of it. And I want that all to happen as fast as I'm talking because um, I'm usually in a presentation mode where I have 25 minutes to tell you what I need to tell you. And it's really what most people would take 40 minutes or 45 minutes to do. And I fix it by being able to snap to things. Um, so, so I have uh, two computers that are dedicated to applications. So I can jump from this application or that application. Both of them are in a steady state. Um, so they, they're ready to be cut to at any point in time. I've got one that's a Zoom machine. So it just connects to Zoom. That's all it does. I, it, that way things are fed into it. And it goes, I have, you know, I'm the Zoom connection. I don't have to worry about, I'm not screen sharing, so it doesn't matter. I'm just a video feed into that. And so it's a, it's a dumb unit that just that just goes into, it's just a Zoom appliance as far as I'm concerned. Um, then I have a presentation machine that holds Keynote. So the Keynote, um, sometimes I use two presentation machines and one application machine. Sometimes I use, so that switches back and forth. Um, and so uh, because of the presentations are in different states, but I'm trying to get down to one presentation at a time. Um, you, and the reason for that is that I, when I'm doing presentations, sometimes the video, the, the still, the demonstrative pictures are keyed in front of me and sometimes they're full screen. And I had a hard time getting both of those to happen at the same time. So, um, so that's what that is. And then I have a, uh, I have one that's dedicated to a Telestrator, um, that's there. Um, and so those are the, those are the, the main machinery that, that I use. Um, to make that actually work. And so that's the that's why I have so many of them. And I have, I don't use any kind of, uh, I don't use Apple's coherence and I don't use anything else. I want to, because I have, generally I have three or four more monitors available to me than I have monitors. Um, so these are all going into a Blackbird 8x8 um, uh, matrix. And so I'm changing the state of the monitors based on the presentation or based on the show or based on the meeting that I'm in. So so it's a, it's a again, I know it sounds really complex, I've been doing this for 15 years and I just, it's not something that I just built. It's like something that I went, oh, I need this one other thing and I need this one other thing. And you get used to how they all work. Um, I will, you know, so it's, it's not like it's, it's, it's this progressive, like I needed one more thing because I, usually what happens is I got stuck somewhere. I, I got stuck in something that didn't look good or didn't sound good or I was frustrated with in a presentation and I just added added more hardware to make that stuckness go away. And so that's how you end up with all this stuff, you know, that's, that's you know, around. And then I, I'm in, I'm, I'm almost at the state. Usually what happens is it's all nice and clean and I, and I, I, I built an, a drawing for it and then it be, slowly becomes a hive and we're in the hive mode right now. So I've got wires everywhere. So this weekend, this week, I'm, it's my time like right like right after noon i'm tearing this thing apart so tomorrow i'll probably just be on a camera um because i'll spend a couple of days um kind of rebuilding the system uh but i'm getting ready in december to probably invest a fair amount in building the building the the space up a little bit more um as i get ready for a lot of big presentations and events and speaking engagements i'm not probably not going to go back to speaking in person again. Like I, I did that this year as an experiment uh, at NAB and a couple other places. And I found it to be um, just horrible. 
and so so anyway, so I I'm not going to do that again. It's just mostly that the I have a big system that's set up. It's a you know I've got a really good studio, and then I have to go and you know plug my computer into an Extron, you know, and and you know like it's just you know like it's just it's just I just I'm I'm going and present presenting in trash. Like I literally feel like I'm knee deep in trash uh, when I'm going to speak in front of people, and so. I, you know, if, if people won't let me come in over Zoom, I'm not going to go. Like, I'm just not going to be there. <laughs> like, so, so that's, that's, that's I've, I've kind of just decided. I, I tried to back away from that. You know, that last year was my experiment and the experiment's over. It's a failure. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's a slow evolution. You, you don't just go out one day, throw down the credit card and buy six computers and 20 monitors and, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I really need one, you know, and, and, uh, and I agree about the idea of I can't imagine you going and doing a, an in-person talk. Yeah, I did it's, it so bad. Like it's just, yeah. it's so, it's so like you just feel like you're halfway through the comp, the, the presentation. You're like, this is just so looks like a fraction of what I'm capable of doing, and I just feel like it's not serving anybody to do that. Like it's just, it's it, you know, for me. There's definitely people that it's better because they don't have a system at home to do it and they don't have a camera and they don't have internet. And I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why, why you know, but, but if you're going to do, if you're doing this regularly, you should build up the system and then, you know, more, more organizations should allow us to just come in remotely um, because it's just, it's so much better experience. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, next question. Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. Is circuit bending in music still being used or is it used in anything anymore? Uh, go ahead, Courtney. It's a lot harder now. I mean, I used to do circuit bending when we were using a Moog, you know, modular 5000 back in the 70s, uh, when you could get creative and change out pots and change uh, capacitors. These days, with everything being surface mount electronically and even changing a pot is quite different, difficult because all the pots on a musical instrument are usually soldered to a, a single motherboard and they're wave soldered and you in order to get the board out to change something, you got to undo 500 different screw connections, and it's just a big, big pain. So it's a lot tougher to do these days. A lot easier to modify the uh, algorithms in a uh, you know in a digital synthesizer than it is to actually go in and hack the uh, analog components to change the sound of a particular analog synth, etc. Next question. Eddie Martinez, Sacramento, California. Has anyone been able to use an iPad in place of a Wacom One? The Wacom One is often out of sync in regard to pen and screen position. How can I get the video into the iPad to tell us straight over it? Good guy. Yeah, you're going to want to take a look at the uh, Video Pencil app. That'll allow you to get the video in. Currently, it's via NDI, but as there was an earlier question, you could just use a uh, USB box, a little, you know, $20, they range in price, but that's how you would get the video in. And then that way you can tell it straight over it. Myself, I like to use, I have the larger Wacom, uh, and it's Wacom, not Wacom, not any other thing, but like I use water. it with Mimo Live with the free painter layer. So that's uh, how my solution because it's very fluid. The trick is to put it at 60 frames per second for the project and that way it's super smoothing. Yeah, I have no issue with sync. I've been using, I have a Wacom one uh, is the what I use and I have zero registration or sync issues with it. Um, and I've been using it for, I've been using some version of a Wacom to do what I'm doing now for uh, 15 years. So it's, it's uh, and I've not had that problem. Um, next question. Andy Kokendorfer, Vieira, Florida. Can anyone recommend way beh a behind the head neckband style headset with a boom mic for Zoom? Thanks. Uh, DPA uh, 4066 um, or a, uh, a Countryman 
uh, H6, um, and the other, and then the one that's not that you can play with. This is the Kermira one that, that that I'm testing right now. I'm still on the fence on it. There's just a if you're good at using it, it will work. Uh, it's not as good as the Countryman or the DPA, and it has a lot of noise handling noise. So you just have to be very conscious to it. And I'm still trying to figure out whether I'm going to keep it or not. Next question. Matthew in Oakland says, is there a case for streaming in 4K? Good guy. Yeah, on this show, I've seen where somebody would open up a Logic uh, screen share uh, when we were, particularly the remote band was showing uh, all the levels of tracks and we just had it in HD and I was just like, oh my gosh, we could be pushing this out in 4K. So for archive purposes, we would have been able to read every single track name and it would have been per pixel perfect. So that's an example where you would want the additional resolution for day to day. I mean, it's, it's a lot of load. You know, you're looking at 24 megs a second to push up in 4K because it's, it's just so much heavier. You know, it's basically four 1080s. So unless you have a, a use case, uh, it looks pretty beautiful on a nice TV, but, you know, HDR could look even better depending on uh, the pipeline that you have it set up if you're doing HLS or uh, what your workflow looks like. So it's kind of, yeah, there's use cases for both resolution versus pixel pixel quality. And we're, and, we're do and we're doing both here over next year. So we'll be doing HDR 5.1, 4K. Um, and the reason for that, again, is when we show stuff, it, we'll, we're going to be able to show things at a much higher resolution, as Guy talked about, um, in, in limited areas. So we're going to have to figure out exactly. And again, we're experimenting with it. Um, 4K 85-inch screen t TVs are now below $1,000. So the thing is, is that the idea that people aren't going to have something to watch it over the next two or three years, you won't be able to buy a 1080p TV over 65 inches for much longer. Um, you know, like it's, it's they're just, th what happens is they stop manufacturing them. You know, like they just, because the, it doesn't make sense to run them anymore. And so, so we are moving towards 4K. Doing 4K on a daily basis, the reason we're looking at doing it is because doing it on a daily basis means that that we get to keep on practicing so that when it is useful, uh, we are able to, to take advantage of that. And I will say that the thing that we keep on coming back to is how people feel. And when you see with the higher resolution, they will not notice. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like it doesn't matter what people notice or not. People have to stop saying that. Like I, I keep on, it's like in, in the like the fire in Man on Fire where he, the, he goes, people keep on saying, "I'm a professional. I'm a professional." I get tired of hearing that. The thing that I hate hearing, and I, I'm usually hold my tongue, is people won't notice. It doesn't matter whether they notice or not. They, it, it's actually more powerful that they don't notice it, and that you know, Apple lives in a world where people don't notice the things that they're doing. That sub, that lower brain effect that you have on people by creating higher frame rate, higher resolution, higher quality, all those things in their subconscious, which is way more powerful than their conscious, it moves you up a notch, <laughs> you know, like, you know, pushes it forward. So it just doesn't matter what people notice or not. It's what they feel, you know, and, and we, we have, there's, you know, Dolby and other people do a lot of research on this. And that's why I got into it is because I was doing some stuff there and, and, you know, that what they feel is so much more important than what they think, you know, and, and uh, when it comes to the kind of content you build, what we're the reason one of the reasons we're doing it is we are out here to do damage to the idea that you can't build events that are spread out all over the world. Um, and by the end of next year, at the rate that we're going, if we're going to able to continue the pace that we're doing this at, um, we're going to get to a point where we embarrass the rest of broadcast. Like it, this is, you know, we're, you know, if you look at the quality of the frames right now and think about the Zoom participants that are coming into broadcast right now, um, we're already pretty close <laughs> to be to embarrassing them because their, their stuff looks horrible. Um, and we're just going to keep stretching that out. And then we're going to, you know, use that as a leverage point to keep on pushing people forward. Um, next question. 
Douglas Carmichael has our last one. I love this question. You two complained that the MSG Sphere sound system didn't have, quote, enough distortion. How could they resolve that? And he's got a link to it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they resolve having too much. You got to add more dirt. More stomp. You, you got to add more dirt to it. More it doesn't got no dirt. It's not dirty enough. <laughs> right, go, uh, go ahead, Courtney. Let's add an electro optical isolator compressor into their line before it feeds the main sound yeah. system to add compre- add uh, noise distortion back in. But I think the problem they're complaining about is because that that system has a bunch of thousands and thousands of little tiny speakers rather than arrays, uh, linear arrays of really big and loud speakers. They don't feel that it has enough visceral impact to affect the crowd so that each person out in the crowd is hearing a nicely balanced audio mix rather than something that is smashing them in the face. Good, Chris. U2 has a long history of, you know, wanting to be like cool and rock and roll. And I think this is probably somebody misquoting something. I don't, I don't think this is right. Their their sound systems are great. They've traveled with great sound systems. It's not like, you know, they're playing through some crappy PV amp. Thanks to the panelists for uh, being here for two hours. I'm really enjoying this the two-hour uh, session of q and I have to say. It's very relaxing. <laughs> so for me, um, so, uh, so thanks to the... Uh, to the panelists for playing along with us and, and uh, great, great panels on this week. So it's really fantastic. Um, and uh, thanks to the producers for asking all the questions. Um, we got to the end of the hour, a little over. And, I, and, and in that, in that vein, thanks to the, to the back end team that uh, stayed with us a little longer. I know that we're running a little over time, uh, but uh, we have this incredible team that's putting together, uh, you know, they, they're, we had dev sessions yesterday. We have meetings I'm planning almost every day. Uh, to figure out what we're going to do uh, for the show. Um, and uh, and then we have, you know, of course, the team that's actually cutting the show. So it's incredible. A reminder that Thanksgiving is tomorrow in the United States. Now, we will still be here because we don't miss days. <laughs> so, so we're still, so you can still expect to see office hours on Thursday morning. We'll be talking. Uh, so uh, we'll see you all then. Uh, we traveled 104,000 miles today. That's 167,000 kilometers. And that is uh, more than 824 million bananas for scale. Let's jump into after hours. Thanks. Hey, we're a nonprofit. Should we make Sam Altman an offer? For- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I promise that our board will not be crazy. I promise. We do it in all office hours stock, which doesn't exist. No, give him the same amount of equity that he has in open AI, which is yeah, zero. Exactly. Exactly. We won't, it won't be AI. We'll just have a lot of opinions for him. Like, we'll just, you know, like, that's what you need is just AI opinions. That's it. Where's the AI where it just goes, that's a dumb question. Like, why are you asking me that? Like that, that Yeah, that's surely what attitude. he wants is more separate people uh, with separate opinions. Or just start you asking a question and just goes, oh, I can't believe you asked that again. Okay, here it is. All right. So I see it. See you all tomorrow. <laughs>